Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Lemon might be like the only Julia Roberts film really? I've ever seen. It might be the only Julia Roberts film mm. ever. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. We're just having a little chat about Julia Roberts. Has Julia Roberts ever been in a good film? We can't work Ocean's, it out. Well, Ocean's Eleven is a good film. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, How long is she in that? She must have limited screen time. Yeah, in that. but she, she she's can't more, deny that she's in it. She's more uh, in Twelve because mm. she plays the woman who looks like yeah. Julia Roberts, That's which is Joe's stupid. opinion. Stupid. Matt Perso, have you got a favourite Julia Roberts film? Not, not really. No. no. Oh, just, no. she's in oh. Smurfs: The Lost Village. Wow. There, go. Well, there we go. Um, <laughs> please, please write into IGN underscore UK feedback IGN come with your opinions I, on Julia Roberts. Do you know what's mad? Yeah. That whole thing started by us saying she's in Closer, which yeah. is a good film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. There we go. Um, and who else is in Closer? Right. Let's let's get on with it. We're done. We're back. Hello. The boys are back in town. I wish you hadn't said that. As Finn Lizzie once shouted. Uh, <sighs> that is a good song, though. Yeah. Um, whiskey in the jar, also good. Yeah, and that's our first section. Did you have any whiskey? Thin in- <laughs> yes. Did you have any whiskey in a jar over Christmas? I had Joe? whiskey in a glass. Uh, maybe in a no. I didn't have it in a mug. Whiskey in a mug. Well, I might have. Well, you're a mug, glasses. so it was in one. <laughs> Uh, any festive uh, highlights for you, Matt? No, not at all. Not in the slightest. None. No. Jesus. I got a fuck ton of chocolate, which I'm not even halfway uh, through yet, mate. I I have too much chocolate. I'm currently working my way through a box of special toffee. <laughs> it's called Thornton Special Toffee. All of their and toffee it's, special. It's congealed into one giant piece that we now, me and my girlfriend, have a permanent toffee knife. <laughs> it just sits in the box. Don't you have like a toffee hammer that you can just shatter? It I'm depends not, how hot. It's not brittle. Well, a too malleable for that. It needs pri- it needs a toffee crowbar. Right. Um, but also, I'm not posh enough to have a bespoke toffee hammer. I kind of I used to love toffee when I was a kid, but ever since I cracked my tooth like when i was 14 on a uh what you call that on a playground concrete a uh, playground concrete, a playground <laughs> concrete. <laughs> yep, that's the um, term. <laughs> i have i've just steered away from toffee because i'm afraid it will just shatter my teeth you haven't yeah. had a toffee penny i i do have them but if i have a toffee now i tend to suck <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm too scared like, I'm for not, you. I'm too scared. It. I don't even care that you made the face after the word "suck" that you <laughs> yeah. did. It's that I'm so disgusted by the idea of sucking a bit of toffee really? until it I disappears. Have to do, I have to do it now until it gets soft enough. That's why I'm much more of a fudge boy. You are. <laughs> and um, do you know what I do love though? And I had a box of it for Christmas as well. Some chocolate covered honeycomb. Oh, that's, that's a treat. Honeycomb had, is brilliant. Have you ever had the Australian version of a crunchy, a violet crumble? No, I haven't. Because it sounds like it's going to be Palmer violets. Mm. Obviously, the worst yeah. sweet. Awful. You like Palmer violets? No, don't I don't. You? Someone no, does someone in our office. Some idiot. I think Gav did. Freak. Yeah, Gav yeah. was in the other day oh, and yeah. he was like, "Oh, these are good." Yeah, because we got a box for eight. He can have them. 
but violet crumble is essentially like crunchy but you know how crunchy's got a bit of malleability to it yeah, yeah. sometimes it bends yeah. before it breaks mm-hmm. no bending on this it's pure crisp pure crunch I like the be- I like the malleability I like a bend don't get me wrong but <laughs> violet crumble offers a different sensory experience yeah that I think we can all appreciate yeah what else do you know what I did get for um, <laughs> Christmas I think a few weeks ago this probably is burned into everyone's memory uh Dale mentioned that I was so close to pressing the checkout button on the Slave One Boba Fett. When you're talking about getting a mortgage. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't buy it, though. I did. I bought a house. Lo and behold, I get it for Christmas. (gasps) My parents bought it for me on Black Friday. Unbeknownst to them, I had it in my basket. Could have been a disaster. (laughs) Legends. I know. So That's so nice of them. Not only do I get a mortgage... I now have a I Lego Slave, slave one, one in it. Yeah. Um, I don't have a mortgage yet. Uh, An unfurnished one house with one Lego Slave One I'll in live, the middle of I'll it. I'll live in Lego. Um, <laughs> I just want to ask, best Christmas presents? Well, pro- probably... Slave One? That is pretty good. Uh, what else? I just got a load of chocolate. I got some socks. I'm at that age now where I didn't I said ask for anything. best Christmas presents. Yeah, but I'm just trying to think. I didn't really... Slave One? I didn't ask for anything, so I wasn't really expecting it. But that was good, yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt? So, um, Katakaros, which is, me? which is a, uh, he is, a, yes, is an Osorarch bone reaper. It's a warm oh, model. My, my housemate, very like, so I wasn't planning on buying anything for my housemate this Christmas. Rude. Um, well, I just, I've ne- honestly, I've never lived in a house where housemates bought Christmas yeah, presents. Yeah, no, that's fair. And then, it's like two days before Christmas, before I left, he just turned up and was like, Oh, here's a Christmas present for you, dude. Obviously, Warhammer doesn't actually weigh a lot, so I sort of shook the box and thought, oh, he's bought me a nice box of chocolates. This mm. is lovely. So it was like, I'll open them now in front of him. Opened it, and it was just like, shit, this is a £65, very large Warhammer figure. Fuck. <laughs> so uh, very quickly went out and bought uh, Christmas presents for him and his wife. Um, but yeah, that is a, like, it's it's sort of like a, yay, sort of six-inch tall uh, mm. undead Nice skeletal I saw general. Yesterday, you cool. put a picture yeah. of a Warcraft one up, and I was quite. That actually looked. I like the design of that. What I'm was not that? into the sort of Warhammer aesthetic mm-hmm. as such, but there was like a. Didn't you put like some sort of skeleton one? That's the guy night? I'm talking about. Is that, is that yeah, him? yeah, that's that him. All? Well, I like that Karras, one. The Bone yeah. Reaper. <laughs> I like that one very much. I'm not. I'm not a big mech man. I know yeah. you obviously are, mech but. No, I did like the look of that. Yeah, yeah, because so, he's an Age of Sigma. I would also series. agree that that was your best present. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Apart from your big bit of toffee. I got those, um, you're going to be annoyed, I got those nice GameCube coloured Joy-Con, the purple and orange ones. Oh, so we've oh, now got the same. Well, because I can mix them up. I'm going to do some mix them ups because I've got the Splatoon coloured ones as well. I might just Ooh. mix them up. We could, I said we couldn't, because they don't change them, I said we could have purple and orange each but no it doesn't do work it like you that. have to do go to japan and get the opposite side yeah. ones um but purple orange is a good combo the thing that i've most used of all my presents are some nepalese chimes that my dad got me <laughs> i've seen lots of little vine-esque <laughs> videos of this it's just it's good it's just like two little symbols on a string and you mm. just chime them my dad lived in nepal for a bit last year so he brought back loads of weird <laughs> nepalese shit i got a body mist it smells nice Mm. Um, it's just a way of saying it's not expensive enough to be cologne so it's body mist (laughs) it smells very good I bet Nepal smells great if they were all wearing Mm. the body mist I got Um, but these chimes I just dinged them at everything like we do a family quiz every year where all the kids 
do mm. rounds in a quiz. More on that later. Uh, and it, for every quiz round, I had people announce the name of their round, <laughs> and then I'd ding the chimes, <laughs> and it well, never uh, got old. Nah. <laughs> My mum does this. She's done it two years in a row now. Little custom crackers for the table so that's so with much your name better on. so yeah she basically makes them herself and so I pulled Does she buy the bangy strips I'm not sure there's probably make your own cracker oh. sets or something but then she puts like there's good stuff in them yeah so I got a little one inch high Mr. Prickle Pants figure which yes, if you know me go. you know he is the best character ever created so <laughs> I was, I was it goes very Prickle happy Pants uh, plain Daniel view. Plain view. <laughs> um, Morpheus from next? the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> and do you know who might be coming a fourth? Um, that's a lie. The Mandalorian. Oh wow, okay. that was an attempted segue. I could have, I could have gone so easily from the Boba Fett slave one if I'd held on to that onto the Mandalorian. What from is Boba better? Fett to Din Djarin. Yes. Spoilers. That's not a spoiler. He said it in public right. before the thing came out. Um... What is better, the Razor Crest or Slave One? Slave One's still the best ship, isn't it? Slave One's got more mystique. I do. You never really see yeah. it. The design Slave of one. Slave One is amazing. And just Slave One is The Razor Crest is cool, though. I like its chunky mm. chunky business. But Slave One is just a cool name for yeah, a ship. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's also got s- those, those... What are those charges that it releases out the back? Are oh, they the cool. Sonic ones? Yeah. Mm, they are they're cool. The only good bit of... Uh, Attack of the Clones, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, what a strange podcast this (laughs) has been. We're not going to spoil the Mandalorian, no, so don't worry. Free. If you haven't seen it, we're just going to give our impressions because we've all finished it. Season one, done. It technically isn't out. Uh, (laughs) Technically, um, but we're just going to give our impressions of what we thought in the end. I'll kick it off. I thought the last two episodes were very, very good. Yeah, I really liked them. Strong. Into it now. The middle dipped. It's almost like if you have an underlying story, Ooh. it's better. <laughs> like, yeah. If there's something you actually believe anyone's working towards, it becomes yeah. a good show. If you have a five or six act structure, stick to it. Don't add two episodes in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward. It's still very good, and I'm looking forward to where season two will go. I can't which, believe season two is out this year. Yeah. It's insane. It's this year now. We're in 2020. We're in the 20s. Oh, the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, so like... Unfortunately, when- the roar may be of <laughs> nuclear bombs. <laughs> Do nuclear bombs make a roar, or is it more of a... D- is it silent if he, death? If you don't think they roar, then you've never watched that all the videos I have <laughs> to frighten myself. <laughs> uh, have you been watching Threads as a preparation tool? I just watch it for fun. <laughs> it's just a relaxation tool for me. Um... Yeah, what do you think of the Mandalorian? <laughs> I, I think I think the opinion is sort of like the same across the table. Mm. Like I think there's one more because I'm, I'd say the the three that are after the first three, yep. are like that's the proper lull sort of section, yep. and I some of them I could really have done without. Like I think uh, five and six, Tatooine I think it, can fuck right. Yeah. That is that's the only one I'd say is actively bad. I think. Four and so six, I think six have is some well. redeemable bits. I think, I think six has a nice idea that yeah. is let down badly by lots of things Absolute. in it. Yeah, and four is half good, half terrible. I think. Yeah, the thing is, is like I could very happily have just watched it as a five or six episode exactly. deal, yeah. Yeah. and I like, would have been fine because I'm just not into the point of having sort of like you know even now ten episodes for me feels like. This had better be 10 episodes of good if I'm going to sit through 10. We were talking about this yesterday because I thought it was really interesting that in our season one review, Laura, our TV editor, said that the season was too short, Mm -hmm. which immediately I kind of went, no, I think it was too long. That's proven by those episodes. But then her point is more that you go X-Files 
and you have your myth arc episodes yeah. scattered through but then there's just way more stopping off and doing other things mm. and actually while they haven't proven that they can do that I would welcome them having the opportunity to try I don't, and I don't like, think they ever will I don't want another four Tatooine episodes though no that's Scared the pro- and that is the problem they have to be good ideas but this that's the weird thing is like kind of you have to it's almost like paying the price for that like X-Files even at its best there's always two or three duds a season mm. yeah. um, and those are always the ones where they're not doing anything actually that's not true some mm. of the myth arc stuff's fucking rubbish but <laughs> like most of those moments come from Monster of the Week episodes that don't quite pay off Yeah, but I like them being able to try because it also gives them that like X-Files is super fun to look into from just like a critical point of view because you're like you see all these writers appearing and honing their style and yeah. becoming different types of writers and then going off and doing stuff that reflects that later on yeah we don't really get that that much anymore in like genre yeah so I think the thing is is like um, so I used to be big into the CW's output and mm. I still have like a fondness for it I think it's 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 daft it serves right? a purpose yeah but obviously they are the reason why I stopped is because when it got to I think I was watching five CW shows a year and it's like that's 24 episodes each yeah it's people just, complain about Marvel insane. fuck yeah. Like, yeah. It's just the like, DC it was, stuff is insane it was just too much and in the end I was just like my entire life is being spent like I was literally moving like social events around so mm. that I could make sure I was still watching those there's a crisis on infinite earths I can't come to the pub (laughs) (laughs) and so I just scrapped it all off and now like my TV uh, tolerance is much much lower than it used to be but yeah Yeah. when I was watching the DC stuff you'd go like six weeks only watching shit and then an episode would turn up and you'd be convinced that the season was actually good Mm. because those high points were so high but actually it does mean that you have to go through a lot of low which is why I'd much rather have, like, I'd much rather let The Mandalorian have been shorter and had just been gold throughout rather than having those bad Mm. episodes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to where they're going with it, though. I feel like they've got a good base for it. It ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, no spoilers, and something that means a lot more, I think, to people who know what something is. There's that. Because I don't, I'm not that tuned in with what happens at the end there. I do think, so that aside, yeah, because that's tying much more into other. Yeah, TV shows they've had before yeah. but like there's an implied quest given mm-hmm. at the end of season two Which, uh, season one yeah. that I think will either make it really interesting or will get an entire series of the lull episodes yeah. and yeah. I am fascinated by how they're gonna take up that idea and I do want to know if this is something did they make a season and see how it goes or did they always have the plan? Oh, like, did they have an they... end in sight? Oh, is well, what I, don't... I need to know. Well, for yeah, this. because yeah, there was a lot of talk of like, is Baby Yoda the mystery box? Yeah, yeah. You know, are we working on that I kind would of lost? Just love like if they said this is a free season thing, I'd be happy with that. Like if it goes on to like seven or eight, it's like I don't. Yeah, I see, don't I'd know. much rather see Star Wars as Star Wars is the show. And there are seasons like you get your Mandalorian seasons, but then we'll get our Obi Wan seasons. Mm-hmm. And then, and like, I'd like to consider Star Wars as like this property that's on TV that we don't have to do. You don't have to have seven seasons yes. of Mandalorian, like because effectively that world will still continue in other shows. I also like the idea, and it's not going to happen, obviously, because this isn't how business works <laughs> these days. But like, I would love Star Wars to be the Disney property that doesn't require research. Yeah, like I love Marvel, and I love keeping up with Marvel, and contrary to I think in the um, films of 2019 Alternative Awards, Al was like, he's done with Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I'm in no way done with no, Marvel. Definitely. Like I watched, I rewatched Endgame again, oh, and I was like, that got me excited for the next it. thing yeah. rather than mm-hmm. happy that it was over. Um, and 
but I would love Star Wars to be the opposite. Yeah. Just be like, we just tell stories. Like, mm-hmm. they're all in the same place, and you like that place, but they don't mm-hmm. have to be about yeah, the same agree. stories. So I don't mind. I think Solo's all right. And I, I really like mind, Solo. I wouldn't mind a Solo TV show. Yeah. I'll never yeah, like yeah, just tooling about. Not, just because I... The thing I quite like... The reason why Solo is my least preferred is because it's just... I sort of knew everything that was in Solo. I knew that he'd done the Kessel Run. I mm. knew all that. But I, there is one or two things in there that I'm like, where were, were they thinking they'd get a sequel? And where was that sure, going? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I really want to know what mm-hmm. that thing is. That's yeah, if you haven't seen Solo, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. But the thing about There's, the Mandalorian... is someone stupid. In it. Yeah. <laughs> like... The thing about the Mandalorian has been sort of like it's dealing with a character that we've never known before, mm-hmm. with other characters that we've never known before. It's a different side of the Empire. I like that it is expanding this universe outside of stuff, and it's a maybe knowing a little bit about who the Mandalorians were might have helped you here. But aside from just knowing what Boba Fett but is, yes, it's, it's yeah. background info yeah. of the Mandalorian mm-hmm. stuff, and actually, I think it does quite a lot to educate you without being boring Absolutely, yeah. along the course of the show. And it's got Werner Herzog doing his mad. Oh, yeah. mate. So as long as there's more of that. Shall we have a libation? <laughs> oh, let's just get a series of him, his his adventures. He's got some lines in the penultimate episode that are fantastic. Like, that is all-time yeah. shit. So <laughs> the- he'd be like, this is a strange world. And life is strange. <laughs> life is strange too. Oh, oh great! God. You've both played. We yes. have. We're going to do. So this is sort of. This we is haven't our really form, Yeah, we haven't formally introduced the idea that what we're doing for the most of the rest of this episode is just talking about oh shit, we do our Christmas, <laughs> which um, turns out is actually not a lot of new stuff at all. No, but that's <laughs> fine. It's fine. We're just chatting. Like the the newish thing that mm. me and Matt did was mm. play Life is Strange too because it came out as the full series didn't yeah. it yes. so so episode 5 dropped in December and then they did a complete package mm-hmm. so I so never I played the first episode of season 1 and I just it wasn't didn't click for me it's weakest well, episode it is mm. that's the problem is episode 1 so fun little Scrabble's backstory <laughs> when I was doing I freelance for Games Master at one point and I was told oh there's this uh, episode one of this new thing from Square Enix called Life is Strange do you want to come to the Square Enix offices and play it through because it's not ready to be downloaded onto consoles yet but we have a build you can come in and you can review it from that and I was like great okay and it was a complete game and everything and I reviewed it and gave it a six because I was like oh, it's sort of it's it's fine but I hated the writing and I didn't know where it was going really and I liked some of the ideas and what they implied and it turned out they turned out really well but uh, it turns out I'd accidentally been given without being told the world exclusive review of Life is Strange and gave it a six and was subsequently told that my name was Mud at Square Enix because it was just like you were honest I was very honest Uh, and I like the rest of that series so it's all fine now (laughs) Um, But yeah, Life is Strange 2 was an unexpected delight. I'm really surprised more people aren't talking about it. And I think it's partly to do with how badly spaced those episodes were. Mm -hmm. Is it connected to... Is it like the same characters? Uh, No, it's so it has um, thematic connections and very vague, like... Non, not non-committal, but like non-important connections. Okay. Really? There is, there is a character later on in. So in you the don't season. need to have played. Oh no, one, not at all. But you'll get some like nice little nods and stuff. Literally, maybe two. Oh, okay. Like it's so so yeah. separate that it, it to the point where it would barely matter if those weren't in there. It's just yeah. nice things. Okay. Um, but if you don't know, it's a game in which two uh, American but born of a Mexican dad boys go on the run 
uh, due to bad reasons. And it's essentially a road trip from the northwest of America to Mexico mm-hmm. um, as they try and escape. And uh, it's a lot about what's going on in America. Yeah. Like, I saw someone sum it up quite well on Twitter, which was just like, if you think games aren't being political enough, then you're not playing Life is Strange yeah. too. Does it manage to do that subtly or is it all pretty? It's like- not subtle, but it's also not annoyingly unsubtle. Okay. Like, it's just going... There's a real problem in America right now. Yeah, yeah it's like it's the people core of that. It's not like where, whereas something like Bioshock, for example, kind of like, you know how Bioshock Infinite deals a lot with racism of that sort of time. Mm. But actually its core plot is about the madness of this city. Yeah. Whereas Life is Strange, because it doesn't have a fiction, basically. Yes, yeah. it's got, it has a supernatural ability. I was going to say, because obviously season one, there's the time travel. Yeah. yeah. So you have something similar. In- yes, there is a supernatural mm-hmm. power at the okay. center of it. But it's that is part of its character building. Actually, the central issue here is the fact that there's a lot of racism in America and people don't like Hispanic people. Yeah. And, like, this is wrong and it is ruining people's lives. And the fact that it is so bullish about that, I think, it, like, it's got balls. Like, it really yeah. does have... The thing, like, I adore Life is Strange season one, um, but that is much more what I consider, like, a classically themed thing. It's about female friendship and it's mm. about you know, where the lines between platonic friendship and romance are drawn and stuff like that. Whereas this is a bit like, no, there is a fucking terrible problem in America now. Let's face up to this. Yeah. And I like that. It's weird that it's made by French people. Yeah, yeah very much so. <laughs> I feel like, like, I was surprised when everyone started playing it because I was convinced this game has been releasing about three years. Like, they seem to have released the chapter like every half a year or something. It was something like two months in between yeah. each really? chapter. Like so it, started, it feels like it's been pre- going on for years. It started yeah. the previous December, didn't it? It was when episode one came out. Which, that's way, way too long. Yeah. Because the the kind of the machinations of those episodes... And they do feel like longer episodes than season mm-hmm. one. Like There were times where I was like, oh shit, this is a really long game. Um, I think it took... I think they're about three hours each. Yeah. There are thereabouts. Um, and... There, were, there are so many choices and so many mini plot beats and way more characters in this than there are in season one mm-hmm. that those gaps would completely destroy. Like, I'm very glad I played it as a single experience. Okay. Like, I think the episodic structure really works for these kind of games, but not in this case. Is there lots of different endings you can get then? Or Yeah, so there are seven oh, versions of okay. the endings. Like, there are th- three broad, no, four broad categories with differences in between them that can change it and like actually very different endings and the way i sort of summed it up which i really liked was when i finished i really liked my ending Mm -hmm. but not because it was the best one or the nicest one it's because it's the one that felt truest to the two characters i'd sort of been creating as i played these two brothers and how i treated them and like as it happened it was like lots of this is very sad Mm. but it really makes sense and that's probably one of the best for this kind of narrative based choice game I think that's the best thing yeah. you can say of it is like mm-hmm. oh shit it really feels like things I have done have made sense it's good that it ends well because there's nothing worse than having five chats or something and then the end's just pfft. yeah exactly yeah. Like, so they've also got like I think the end of Life is Strange 1 is really quite touching and beautiful but only if you pick the right one well yes because if you pick the wrong one it's over in five minutes sure. and you go mm-hmm. what that's everything because I just picked the one they didn't want me to pick whereas Life is Strange 2 also this is a a fun thing Uh, Life is Strange 2 has like the best 
official corporate YouTube channel I've ever oh, seen really? for a game. <laughs> it's really weird because I went I looking. Looked at it. So Stop if you making go it up to Square Enix, Ian. <laughs> they don't I love them you anymore. I love them. <laughs> um, I think it's actually don't nod rather than uh, I don't know. Um, but I went looking for like all the endings mm-hmm. as you do at the end of this thing, mm. and I realised oh this is from the Life is Strange page. So I went on there. Right. And they've got like deep dives on the characters and talking about all their stuff they were thinking about them. But more interestingly, they have stuff about all the invisible mechanics. So like okay. Daniel, the younger brother, who you never control directly, has invisible meters for morality and uh, brotherhood. Sure. And like how much he likes you versus how good a person he is. And sometimes those two things are connected and sometimes they aren't. And so he's you're changing his stats mm-hmm. all the way through without knowing. Yeah. I think or that's without the, being told specifically. Yeah, that was the thing that I think is really interesting about this one is whereas with Max and Chloe, kind of Chloe is always very separate from Max. Yeah. And she is her own force of nature and it's about how you adapt along with that and mm. sort of like my the thing that I really liked about mine was when I played through that it was very much about a very, very deep platonic friendship that mm. was almost romantic but it's just because they adored each other and I yeah. really enjoyed sort of working that out because Chloe's such an enigma and a, yeah. a, a terrible force to deal with whereas this was like you have a big responsibility and mm. it's the next step up from sort of like Lee and Clementine's relationship in The Walking Dead yeah. it's not just a case of like what you say will determine sort of like how she reacts, reacts. it's like what he will do yeah. depends on what, how you think I didn't realise how much so this is why this YouTube channel so good is some of these things break down like how differently Daniel can act in moments that are seemingly out of your control but are actually entirely down to yeah. what you've done before mm-hmm. which is really smart mm. um, it's very cool well, it sounds like a jolly Christmas you've both had that yeah no a lovely <laughs> time with two runaways yeah. encountering let's racism try it. we've got a lot of things here so let's try yeah, and get yeah, through yeah, a bit be quicker, quicker. Um, I went into Christmas thinking there's games like Death Stranding The Outer Worlds Luigi's Mansion Link's Awakening lots of new games I should probably play that I never got around to so I've got massively back into Hearthstone yeah baby <laughs> So, this one of those things where I was just like over Christmas like I can't be able to concentrate I'm just going to put on some TV and some films that mm-hmm. I know and play Football Manager and Hearthstone yeah. <laughs> which is what I did and uh, do you know what I forgot how fucking good Hearthstone it's is it's really good yeah. like, I've been enjoying that because it's the Dragons expansion Galacrond oh the amount of fucking people that invoke Galacrond <laughs> against me <in> <laughs> um, but I've got a lovely little I've got my mage and my hunter deck Yeah, I'm a proper nerd at this now are like, you uh, like a proper deck builder I or never do you use archetypes I, I like to build my own because yeah. I think that's half of the fun for me mm. so I've got like kind of custom ones but I just I've got a lot of dragons in the mix because yeah. they're the new thing at the moment and, and they gave you them free didn't they they gave you the exactly. like main five dragons yeah I think. and then yeah. I've got a lot more that I've earned nice. uh, not putting any money into it though mm-hmm. just purely earning them uh and yeah, I've got some lovely, lovely dragons in the mix. And I'm building on dragons and taunts, and I'm hard to beat. You will be with all those taunts in your deck. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. <laughs> you enjoy playing against me, don't you, Matt? <sighs> you and your taunts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot more to say about Hearthstone other than it's really good, isn't yeah. it? Like, I start, turns I, out Blizzard know how to make a game. I started trying to get fully into Magic Arena because mm. uh, I like magic. And have done since That's I what was triggered a kid. It for me. So I saw you playing, and I was like, oh, I miss playing Hearthstone. So yeah. I was big into it like two years ago. And like, I think Magic Arena is very good, um, but I always forget how much I dislike the constructed side of the game because more than Hearthstone, it is like a 
a pay to win mm-hmm. in a sense because yeah. you just can just if you have more money you can just buy better cards mm-hmm. that's how it works and every time i get into the constructed side and play a deck where i'm just like oh well mine's just made up of the stuff i have yeah and you have built a tournament winning yeah. deck and i've just been match made against you and that's it that's for me. the great thing so like, much of hearthstone you can just play for free and yeah even a lot of the single player stuff is free or a lot of it is anyway and what until you told me a lot of them i didn't realize that have come since i've stopped playing it a lot like slay the spire they're a lot like roguelikes basically yeah Yeah. it's really fun especially like the indiana jones style one that's just really Mm -hmm. good yeah i like hearthstone yeah (laughs) it's good in it yeah um another one i went back and played i started red dead 2 again because i was i told myself i've been itching to play it for like five months now Mm. again and i was like i'm gonna wait till the ps5 inevitable release surely. would you say you had a plan <laughs> i had a plan and i buckled and i gave in and i'm now about a quarter of the way through it again and it's a quarter still, yeah i played a good like Fuck 15 20 hours uh it's, it's so good what it, it been really is you done anything silly uh no you i've just so been... i've been trying to be more so the first time i played it i played quite an honorable arthur yeah and i was quite nice to people this time I've tried to be nasty, but there's still certain situations where I can't be. I find it bad. really hard to be like. I also more don't so want than, like five hundred dollar bounties all the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> more like more so than I think maybe any Rockstar open world game. Mm. I find it harder to be evil in that game. Yeah. Partly because it's more realistic and it makes it scarier and horrible. Yeah. yeah. But partly because Arthur's so great. Yeah. And I don't want him to be a mean man. It, it <laughs> like, further, I love him. Further reinforce my opinion. I think Dutch is just the best character in video games. I, he is my favourite. I love him so much. And just playing it again, you realise knowing what's going to come and what's happening. There's so many like throwaway lines and little conversations mm. that you mm-hmm. hear. And you're like, I know where this is going. And it's like even there's a... I don't want to spoil Red Dead 2 because I wouldn't want it spoiled for me. Yeah. But there's a key event that happens later in the game that actually occurs about an hour in, if you know what I'm talking about. No. There's something that happens to Arthur, a very big thing that happens. Right, yes, 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 yes. That actually happens about an hour into yeah. the game. Yeah. And you realise that moment when you play it again, you're like, that is amazing. Yeah. What's happened here? Rockstar are very good at making games. They are sort of and that me world wish that that writing was applied because I think GTA's writing isn't quite as sharp as it used to be. No, absolutely not. And like when you know that they can write sharply because yeah. Red Dead is beautifully written. Yeah. yeah. Like I really hope that the next GTA is like less bothered about it doing cheap satire and actually tries to be a good drama. Yeah. yeah. That's like, what I was. I was just walking around Red Dead and I was like, GTA Six is going to be if it looks like this it's gonna be oh, yeah, gonna look better. but so like yeah that is the problem is that I'm way less excited by the idea of GTA being shocking and silly now because yeah. mm. that's like the thing they the thing they were doing to make fun of America is now real, real. what yeah. is America yeah. so, I'm really intrigued to see what the next GTA is like grim I hope it's yeah. grim as fuck <laughs> do you know what isn't grim as fuck nice segue <laughs> Luigi's Mansion because yeah, that's lovely. full of joy oh, it's lovely. and I'm still yet to play it mm-hmm. but oh. Matt yeah so actually it's sort of like um, my sister bought me this for my birthday and I've been waiting because my birthday's in November and I was waiting to play it over Christmas 
And the thing that I found is so, I've probably said on the podcast before, like I wasn't bought up on Nintendo. Mm. I, I had PCs when I was a kid. And the thing that's really delightful about playing Nintendo games now is me looking at it and going, oh, this feels really Tim Schafer. No way, Tim Schafer games must have felt like Nintendo games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got all of these little touchstones that I'm like, this thing. But just sort of like the way that, like the cinematic intro to Luigi's Mansion. It's is, amazing. Is astonishing. They're moving into this giant sort of hotel and it gradually getting creepier and then overnight it all turning from this beautiful sort of like art deco huge tower into this spooky house mm. and yeah like i've never played a louise's mansion so i had no real idea i did honestly had no idea what they were apart from the fact that you had a hoover on your back yeah it's like and, a charlie chaplin yeah, game. yeah it's yeah, amazing it's amazing um do have a little niggle with it doesn't have inverted controls <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting yeah. so all three of us are in that yeah yep. legends yeah, that's put yeah, that's put me off a little bit i'm not gonna it's, not play the not, game because of it yeah but. it's not a vi- it's not one of it's not like it's a first person shooter so it's not like the vital control you're using but there are some segments or some bosses that do require a little bit more vertical sort of work mm. and that makes it quite fiddly it's mad that but it's a forgiving game so yeah you know, it's you pretty, can get you can you kind force of, your way through you kind it. of rarely need that much yeah small level control but it mm. is very irritating but yeah but it's a delight and i recommend it highly it's mm. real good do you know what isn't a delight mm. but i do recommend highly is don't fuck with cats Ooh. yeah i have not watched this and i i almost don't think i know what the premise is i'm not gonna no way yeah again not gonna spoil it because you can do a little bit of episode one is, you can well we can it, do the premise is it some people see someone torturing slash killing a cat on the internet mm-hmm. and then decide to Basically, take revenge take yeah. vid- yeah, and they is it try real? to hunt them down yeah yeah it's absolutely so it's a it's, it's a real it's, story like it is difficult stuff like, is it like is it catfish where you're not sure if it is actually real or not is it they in pre- any way constructed think, or is it definitely i think real? they pretty much established from the start that this is a horrible thing that's happened okay um so, and it is like I'm not someone who's very squeamish or like has to look away from things but in the first episode of this there is a couple of bits where I'm like I don't want to see this is it actually they don't show no, no so they don't they show like bits of the video but none of the bad bits right a, and you kind of hear things yeah. and they kind of they tell you what's happening but you don't I see don't. it it is uncomfortable there is there is like for anybody that is thinking about doing it and is particularly a cat person you do see a cat corpse which is not nice but it's and that's the thing that made me feel worse of all is that I've watched so many things where bad things happen to people and I see bodies of people. Yeah. And the thing with cats made me feel worse. No, but I have so a much worse. but I have a my internal theory about that stuff is yeah. that animals are pure innocence. Yeah. Like it is science you can it, always like sort of half explain away yeah. a dead person well, by going they I, I mean it's insane to think about it this way but it's like they knew what they were doing or like they had probably had bad things about them too whereas whenever mm. I see an animal hurt yeah in, yeah. in, in fictional or not I'm exactly. like fuck whoever did that but um well that's kind of what they established in the first five minutes of documentary it's like all about the internet and how on anything can go anything goes on the internet there's dark stuff there's sex stuff there's death stuff yeah but you don't fuck with cats yeah. like it's right. the thing and that's where it comes from and mm-hmm. especially because of the era it's like in the golden era when cats were the darlings of the internet not these dogs when yeah. cats were thing um, it's three episodes long and they're about an hour to an hour and a half each i think they're quite lengthy Jesus. no no i don't think they're, they? i don't think i think they're an hour each really? yeah i thought they're a bit long wait it fucking felt it, long yeah but um <laughs> the one thing that so, goes places yeah and i'm not going to spoil it because 
how it i was very surprised by then that i hadn't heard of this case or this thing right because it's one of those where you're like this is actually insane it's much broader and it's like, than you think you can't believe that this hasn't been written by some, like why is it presented like it's funny it's not all f- but like as in don't fuck with cats and mm. the way the the art the art they use on the site on the home screen and stuff Presumably all looks like it's meant really? to be f- or it, it oh, looks I presented didn't. to me as if it's funny maybe i saw because i know they change the algorithm for people maybe they know you like funny stuff and like let's get him in with yeah that. he likes pop stars so we'll love yeah. don't fuck um, with cats it is hard to watch the first episode especially is hard to watch i think but the story in the end is it's oddly it, it's, cinematic okay in, in like the way that it because i i've said before that i don't really go in for true crime mm. like unless it's like you know something like mindhunter or something like yeah. that i enjoy that but actually true and this does the thing that i don't like about true crime whereas it it forgets that things got hurt yeah. here and it, it's so obsessed with mm. the hunt that it forgets about the fact that like you know, but things got killed. Mm. You know, these cats were were tortured. Yeah. Um. And so I don't like that it doesn't mm. uh, think about the victims all that much. But the story is so bonkers. <laughs> it is something that would have been written by a screenwriter, but it actually yeah. happened. Weird. And that, that's the thing that takes you through. It's it's what it's a hard one to recommend because it is so good, but it's obviously not for everyone. Mm. But I I do think you'd I know you'd enjoy is a hard word but that's it I do like <laughs> true crime and I like yeah. those stories but... I feel like once you like episode one is the worst of it mm. like once because it's when the hook know. starts because yeah. like after you've got to deal with all this horrible stuff but when the case starts to come together and a suspect is sort yeah. of formed there's mm. like a worldwide thing going on and do you know what really got to me so I was watching this and I was like I'm really scared because this is not a spoiler in this documentary they go to Berlin, mm-hmm. Paris, Montreal, uh, Toronto, maybe as well. Washington. Is everyone in this a games developer? No, no. <laughs> no Washington. All five of those places I've been to in the last twelve months. I was like, what? Am, what what's happened here? <laughs> you, you, the cat killer. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm, is this my fault? Uh, but no, it's it's. You should watch it. I will. Yeah, probably. Uh, you've been watching something called Documentary Now, though, which sounds a bit different. It <laughs> is. Uh, Documentary Now, I had never heard of until... Um, have you? Do either of you follow the Instagram account Readful Things? No. no. It's a guy who just makes his own action figures in packaging of, like, obscure things that he likes. Huh. So there's, like... I think you should leave with Tim Robinson action figures. Right. He just makes one and then sells them. Uh, and he's made like Comedy Bang Bang. Like, all inevitably, when he makes something, it's something I either like or would like. Sure. Yeah. And one of these things came up, and it was uh, a, a Fred Armisen character in like a white jumpsuit. And it said, like, and it came with a, an attachable cup that he could drop from his right hand. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And it just said, uh, oh shit! I can't even remember what it's. I can't remember the name of it. But mm. basically, it is a single episode of this series that Fred Armisen and Bill Hader made in 2015 called Documentary Now, which I cannot believe I've never heard of before. It's two six-episode series. They're all on Amazon Prime now. Um, that each episode is a separate documentary that is a spoof of a real famous documentary. Okay, made with incredible attention to detail almost to a fault where occasionally they are no longer funny in any way 
and the stories are just made up versions of the same thing but they're so well shot and so well observed that you're just kind of in it like you're sure. just watching and so they range from sort of um you're like lush have you seen jiro dreams of sushi no, Which no is, i've seen bits of it so like I know what it is. kind of very like beautifully shot very colorful culinary documentary and they do one called Juan dreams of rice uh, Juan <laughs> likes rice and chicken which is a guy in Colombia which oddly is like it starts off and you're like oh there's funny bits in here and it ends up being unbelievably heartwarming and there's no <laughs> like there's no artifice to it mm-hmm. in the end it's just got a beautiful ending um and then they do ones that are like the problem is I, so I don't know all the references but there's one that is an entire concert movie that's meant to be like stop making sense sure. but they've just made up the band <laughs> and all their problems and like written an entire set of songs it's fucking weird um, they've got one that's uh, seemingly I think there was an Eagles documentary and it's very much what uh, I'm not sure if it's the Eagles but it's an Eagles type yeah. Californian soft rock band except they're Chicagoans who are pretending to be Californian <laughs> for success called the Blue Jeans Committee um, and they've got all of these things and they're all like even if you don't know the source material you can see that they've yeah. gone incredibly in depth with it are they all hits are they all worth watching almost all of them there's okay. a couple where it depends what you're going in looking for because even mm. the ones where I was like well, the jokes aren't really working here or the ending doesn't quite hit. There's always something where you're like, I can't believe they went this far with a single joke or yeah. a single style. And it's worth, if you're interested in the medium, and I think this is probably why it's not more popular because some people are going to go into it wanting a Bill Hader comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And some episodes just aren't a Bill Hader comedy. They're Fred Armisen in a wig doing something weird <laughs> with like a grainy camera on. Um one of them's just a guy doing like a monologue on stage for ages, yeah. but every time he tells a story about someone, they're in the background saying that he's talking bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sure it's based on something. I have no idea what it is. It's really weird. It's great. Mm. It's worth watching. Yeah. I'll dig in. One last thing that, again, me and Joe have both watched. Yeah. I'm not really sure why. It's one of those where you watch it all. Yeah. And you're not really sure why you're watching it. Yeah. We- reminds me of The Sinner. Exactly. Like, I really like I like the sinner a lot more. Yeah. But it's got the same effect. Yeah. We're talking about you season two. <laughs> yeah. Which is one of those I don't even know if it's a guilty pleasure because I don't particularly enjoy now, I just I have th- it on and it's just trashy, mad, poor man's deck stuff. I don't know if this is true exactly, but I feel like we talked about you season one on this episode last year. Because I think it came out at the same time over Maybe. Christmas and yeah, everyone watched it because it was the only thing on Netflix. Yeah. Which is the same thing here. If you don't know what you is, it's essentially Dexter, but the main character is Dennis from Always Sunny yeah. in Philadelphia. But He's it's like got a, kind of the writing quality of a bad Gossip Girl sort of yeah. show. And there's a man from Gossip Girl is the main it character. It is probably actively shit. Oh, it 100% <laughs> is. And but season two shows that. I've watched it all. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Yeah. So season one at least has the, a modicum of, like, there's a beginning, middle, and end. Sure. And it tells... Do, yeah. have you, do you know no, anything I, I, about no, you? No, I, I mean, I didn't even know that it was dexter And it's all, right. to an extent, vaguely plausible, but set in this make-believe world. <laughs> <laughs> season one is, is not even <laughs> close to vaguely plausible. Compared to season, season two, is like no, Mars. Compla- <laughs> compared to season two, season one is okay. vaguely plausible. So, set- so is he a serial killer then? No. no so the setup a- is... <laughs> he's a pervert. Yeah. Right. So the setup is... <laughs> what? So it's, it's sexy a- Dexter. <laughs> 
Kind Basically, <laughs> so the main character is a, a sociopathic stalker mm. who narrates the entire show right. and everything is shown from his point of view. Yeah. Okay. To the point where it's uncomfortable because it and is he feels... supposed to be like an unreliable narrator? Well, because he's not unreliable. You almost, see everything, ooh. but everything is funneled yeah. through his narration. Right. The way they do it really is the whole of pretty much episode one of season one, I think, is he just seems it's, like a nice, it's a fun rom-com. guy. And it's a rom-com. And then is the it takes the dark. It, right. it takes like a dark turn. You're like, oh, but you've made me like him. Yeah. And there's a good <laughs> there's a good narrative conceit, which is the narrator is constantly talking to you. Mm-hmm. And you is not. You, you is the person he is currently sure. obsessed with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which shifts. Yeah. So he, uh, he, the first the first season has some bizarre twists and turns. <laughs> like I, so we like, can't really spoil it, even though so it's like, Europe. But like this is like he has a big glass box that he keeps people in, <laughs> which, he, which he somehow. Heights. Has moved from New York to LA. Well, let's, yeah, let's not even get into that <laughs> shit. But like. Season one has like captives, and inevitably there's murder. And right, like, yeah. yeah, he's very stupid. And the ending's insane. Yeah. And like, it has the but he does it all for love. A, a version thereof, <laughs> uh, and it has like the visual quality of a CW show, yeah. right? And it's just fucking weird. But it's like really edible trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like. Yeah, it, it really goes it's one down of those easily. You just watch because you want to know what mad thing is going to uh, exactly. happen. Exactly, and so season two starts, and it's a new location. It's like to its credit, an almost entirely new cast beyond the main character, yeah. which I think is really bold. And it sets up a whole new you and a whole new situation yeah. for this to happen. But the twists in season two yeah. are like fucking bizarre but like, I feel like season one they made and they were like oh we'll see how this goes it could be self-contained it could yeah. have ended self-contained but now they're building all sorts in season two because they know people have watched it and yeah. loads of people have watched it and they're building like very similar flashbacks to Dexter this oh, is basically based on there Dexter is, there is right. stuff in the, they reference <laughs> Dexter in the show oh, and yeah. then do the same twists <laughs> but they're like, already at the point Dexter was at season 7 yeah, after it's, oh, shit. it's insane <laughs> it's absolutely insane uh, and yeah like I can't go into it but the, the benefit <laughs> the, the benefit for its writers that season 2 builds is that for no apparent reason, suddenly the main character is friends with, like, billionaires, which means oh, right. that the stakes are insane and yeah. the ability to do insane things yeah. is, you know, exponentially higher. He used to be a guy that ran a bookshop in New York. Yeah. He wasn't even ran, he didn't even run it. He was just working in it. Oh, yeah. So no, he did own it, sort of, because of, oh, case of weird, cage weird reasons. Shit. <laughs> but, like, in season two... Suddenly, he's mates with billionaires out of nowhere, right? Yeah, and so it ju- everything's completely insane. Like the stuff people's doing, the parties he's oh. going to. It's like C- all the worst bits of LA you see. Do you know like- that comedian who I really dislike, Chris Delia, Delia, no. Delia? Um, he's the guy that got. F- well, he was famous already, but he g- went viral with a thing where he was just making up an Eminem rap on the spot. Right. On, on oh, yeah. That's where I recognise him. So he's he plays, awful. He plays a comedian who's basically him, but worse. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I can't say that because it's a spoiler. It's such an unlikable programme, isn't it? Yeah, like everyone, everyone <laughs> in it is a prick. Like even the people you're meant to be like, oh, no, I hope they don't get hurt. You're like, fucking kill them immediately. Yeah. Uh, like 
It's just bizarre. It's so weird. It's I can't so bad, stop thinking about it. <laughs> I will watch season three. Of course I will. <laughs> it'll be out at Christmas again next year and it'll be appointment viewing. Yeah. But I like... Because they're ending on a cliffhanger. It got to the... Po- oh, man, and what a stupid <laughs> fucking cliffhanger And we cliffhanger all know what the fucking is. Yeah. And also, it's still doing... And- oh, man, it's doing stuff that Dexter did. I know, like, if season three goes where they could go, then it's fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, man, it's so weird. And, like, I had a point to make, but I'm so... Like, I was just sitting there with my girlfriend... What is watching it properly, and I'm doing it as that thing where I've got something else on because I'm so convinced that I should hate it. It's the ultimate. I'm like, I'll play football manager. manager at the same yeah. time, or I'll do something else. But she was just like, she she was like, I really enjoy watching this with you because it, it will seem like you're not paying attention, and then you'll scream something <laughs> that articulates that you know everything that's happened, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're really angry about it. Oh, it's it so weird. No sense. It's the most like. It's the televisual equivalent of a hate fuck. (laughs) You're just watching it like, I can't stop watching how shit this is. It's really weird. I'm very intrigued. And that's why I'm into it. Uh, you should watch You should watch some of season one. Sure. Because there's a chance you'll start watching it and be like, this is fucking rubbish. Because it is. But I think you might get into it. Okay. yeah, it sounds pulpy enough to have a bit of a draw for me. But it's not even, yeah, it's not even got like the grit of pulp though. Mm. It's like, Oh, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like, uh, everyone on it... It's in the should, galaxy chocolate of pulp. Yeah, like, everyone on it should have... Should never get a job again. Right. Unless it's writing the next season of You. Like, it's the only thing any of these people should be allowed to do for the rest of their careers. But, but that's... A, Not because I want more, just because I don't want them touching the, anything um, else. The object of his attentions in season two. She's a very good actress. She's in she Haunting in? of Hill House. She plays. Oh, that's her. Yeah, she's very. And I think she is actually is okay it? in this. Yeah, she's plays uh, one Nell. of the, Oh, Nell, okay. Yeah, like, Nell's good. She's. I think she's. A I very kept thinking good actress. it was. I, they just picked a person who looked like Rachel McAdams, <laughs> and there's another person who looks yeah. exactly like Isla Fisher. I'm like, are they just picking like no. shit wedding crashes? She, she's a genuinely good actress. Pretty much everyone, everyone else in the show isn't. Uh, oh but, my god, a well, fucking anyway. forty. We could uh, we could we could do a whole spoiler. Should we do a you spoiler? Cut? Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, should we do a quiz instead? Yeah, let's do a quiz. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ones and twos, we got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah. And ones and twos, we got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. In the search. Every year, me and my brother and sister and cousins do a. It's called the Scrabalka Christmas Quiz. No. Scrabbles and Balkers. That's the two sides of the family. Okay. Um, and. Good. Yeah. Like, oh, no. What's no. that? Oh. oh, that's me playing <laughs> sections from another podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> basically, yeah, we always do this. And my round is always. A slightly annoying and obtuse, I like to call Amazing. cryptic quiz <laughs> round about news stories of the last year. Craptic. Let's call it that. Craptic quiz is actually very good, and I'm going to use that now. Um, it's the round that always takes the longest and gets the most annoyed shouts. But also, I think, the greatest joy when someone works it out. Because sometimes it's so annoying to work it out that when you get there... It's basically you, the quiz. <laughs> I thought you were looking at me and going, it's basically it's me, quiz. annoying, and when you finally get me, kind of satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do, I've written 10, 
but we'll do five. Okay. And if we like it, yeah. let's go and quit. We'll do some well, more. We'll but we'll, I'll you give said you. It a, takes a, ages. Though. The point, yeah, it can take ages. So the point but here, my, go on, is that it's always a short phrase. I'll tell you how many words it is. Okay. And that phrase is broken up into a series of clues that describe <laughs> those words. For instance, fuck. Uh, should I just tell you the answer and we can go through the clues, or do you want to try and work it out as I go? Do one example one. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Okay. Do you want Do you want the answer first so that you can work out how it's broken down? I think. I, yeah, yeah, I think that way. Is so this This is a new story from last year. It's Notre Dame burns. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. The three, and I will always tell you how many words there are and how many clues. Okay. This is three clues, so one for each word. <laughs> the first clue is French for our. O U R. Right. Notre. Yeah. Judy Dench's title. <laughs> Fucking hell. Dame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Rabbi the Poet. Burns. Okay. Rabbi Burns. Okay, that's not as. Some of these are much more annoying okay. than yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's easier when you know the answer. I'll start. Yeah. And presumably these are. These are all 2019 news stories. Yeah, and news stories from okay. the wider globe rather than our industry. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. my mm. family would have <laughs> okay. no yeah. fucking clue. <laughs> Uh, let's try this And we'll just go Whoever answers first gets it so Your family won't get in Like Blizzard Court In Hong Kong store <laughs> No 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 I mean That would be some good clues For that one Yeah So this one is Three words But four clues So one nice. of these words Is split up into two clues Okay Fuck's sake You asked me to do this No I'm into it Clue one Are we doing answers As soon as you know Or answers I at the end I think so Alright I think so Clue one. Pilkington's name. Do you want to work together? No. I think it's no, almost more fun know. if you confer. I think so. Well, there's Carl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is where you might get. Clue two. Carling Foster's Carlsberg. Lager. <laughs> this is one of the worst. Carl Lager back? No. This is one of the worst. <laughs> that's also not a story. That's just a name. <laughs> Um, it could be another word on I the I think end. this is one of the worst clues in the entire thing. <laughs> Felt with a D. <laughs> Sorry? Felt with a D. Felt it? Felt with a D. Or, or do we replace that? And then bad plural for dice. Die. Dices. Die. So die is the someone correct. Start, someone called Carl has died. <laughs> Carl... Lagerfeld has died. Karl Lagerfeld <laughs> dies. Dies. A bad plural for dice. Dies. <laughs> you love it. You loving it? Yeah. What was that? One of the top ten news stories you picked out? Because there's uh, one of my cousins is works in fashion. Um, oh, there we go. That makes sense now. Which one did people really get annoyed by? Oh, this oh. one. I'm going to do the most annoying one now because it'll take ages. Uh, this is one, two, three, four, five. Six words, six clues. Are we still working together? I mean, you've got a point now because you got the. We'll, we'll work together. I like you working we'll together. We'll work together on the clues and then whoever. Okay. Nice, it. nice. I okay. like it. Uh, porcelain. Sorry, six words, six, six clues. Six words, six clues. Okay. Porcelain. Okay. Half of Lansbury. China. Half of Lansbury. China berry. Half of China berry men under moon rocks. <laughs> Did that happen? This, this was the most hated One clue in the entire hands. quiz. No reversal. What? 
Porcelain, half of Lansbury, no reversal. Forward. Jupiter has 79. Moons. It's not about the moons. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Ray, me, so, la. Do. <laughs> Scale. <laughs> and then half a record. Half a record? Yeah. Porcelain. Let's go through it clue by clue. China. Yeah. China line sign on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> half, half of Lansbury. Berry. Or Lands. 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 You got that quicker. Yeah. Than Lands. The... No reversal. Forward. No reversal. No reversal. No reversal. What? Cheers. Yes. No. That's, that's quite a good guess. They landed sign on we'll the moon. Leave, we'll leave that one. Jupiter has 79. Moons. 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 Ray, me, solar. Ray, me, solar. Well, I don't know what's happening. Do you want some help? Yeah. What's, think about the pattern of that. Yeah. Ray, me, solar. Isn't it... Do, no. Do, is it do a day? Fucking scales. <laughs> What about half a record? Side? Side. 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 So you've got China, lands, blank, moons, blank, side. side. Dark. No. Nope. Side. Ray, me, solar. Ray, me, solar. <laughs> I love this game. Ray, me, sol. Do you know the pattern? No. What's well, do, ray, me. Oh, I was doing it the wrong fucking way around. I don't know what's <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> solar. You're still missing it. In? Do you want me to help? Go. Do you want me to answer it? What, what What's that one? That's Ray Me Solar Misses Out one. Do Ray Me blank Solar. Oh, I don't fucking Far. Know. Far side. Yeah. Moon. China lands blank. Moon's far side. No reversal. Shuttle. <laughs> Think about ship. <laughs> what word Rocket. has to be there? China Ray lands Blank moon's far side. Sat- it's sa- lands mat like land something That's on on, <laughs> on no on. reversal. <laughs> it reverses no. For no. Sake. <laughs> <laughs> People hate you that. You should never write crossword, <laughs> mate. That's that's the most cryptic crossword puzzle in this entire I thought it was thing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's why it's cryptic. <laughs> Fucking hell. cryptic crosswords are well annoying. Do you want more? <laughs> Just do a couple more. Why right, not? Do some more. The far side is the dark side. Yeah, but that's not the... You've got to find the actual word. That would have been a better you, headline. It wouldn't. It was landing on the first. Right. Jordan Peele's second film. Us. Us. This... Oh, shit, I forgot how bad this one is. <laughs> this is going well. Births. God style. <laughs> Immaculate? No. <laughs> Just leave that one. We'll get there. Amazing. Just Created by a gap. What? Created by a gap. Space? Damn space. right, it's space. What's the first one again? Us. Us, yeah. You mess- is it just A? <laughs> uh, and Oh, yeah, it's four words, by the way. Okay. And then Luke Skywalker's powers. Force. Force. Space. US Army Space Force? No. Earth's God style. What was the fucking... It was... 
Trump wanted to build a space army. I mean, he has. What was uh, the US? S- this is quite a bad clue. <coughs> what was what was the clue again? Births, God style. <laughs> My brother got this weirdly quickly. US. What does space God? For? What does God do when he births things? <laughs> Big Bang. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to an extent. Uh, US create. Creates Space, space Force. Force. <laughs> you look so angry, Matt. I've never right. seen you so disappointed. Let's, let's do one more before yeah, people we'll switch one more. off. <laughs> let's if see. This, I have a feeling this might be along with it. You know, when we played Top Trumps. <laughs> no, this is bad. No, no, Top Trumps. There are going to be some people at home who fucking love this. Guaranteed. Uh, this one really annoyed people as well. Here we go. Because uh, I couldn't think. <laughs> couldn't think of a clue for the first one on this, so it's just the first line of a Wikipedia page, <laughs> which is the quantity that expresses the extent of a two-dimensional figure or shape or planar lamina in the plane. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Next. I didn't come on the university challenge. 637 minus 586. Oh, no, fuck off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Sorry, 637. 637 minus 
What so if it don't was about? Do it. What if it was about? Kakaros, the, 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 the bone reaper. Uh, anyway, John says. Now I've had a couple. Now I've had a couple. So bear with me. It was Christmas, but I reckon the worst smelling Bond villain would be Boris Grishenko from Goldeneye. His weird pervy energy and dishevelled appearance definitely makes me think he'd stink of whatever the Russian equivalent of Lynx is. Interesting. Does like Lynx Af- spell Kuga? <laughs> Voodoo. Java. Um, <laughs> I haven't... Do you remember when everyone used Lynx? I can't... Lynx was a common Christmas what, present, wasn't what, it? Yeah. What was your favourite? Africa set. Yeah, exactly. Africa mm. was my scent. It was quite I caramelly. Remember. I didn't like... Africa's horrible. I mean, it's gross, but yeah. I used it. <laughs> I've never been to There was Africa. a chocolate as well, wasn't it? That uh, was what's oh, that about? Man. What's a smell like yeah. chocolate? I can't remember. It's been years since I'd links, but it was either Java or Voodoo. Java or Voodoo. I don't know. Uh, I've, the worst thing, you know, when you get given like products for Christmas product, as like yeah. an easy mm-hmm. stocking filler, mm-hmm. I've got a bo- nearly full bottle of this like. It looks like Terminator sperm, um, <laughs> and it's co- and I bet you know exactly what that means. Uh, no, it's called Lynx Cool Metal, Ooh. and I've never heard of it before or since. <laughs> I used it once, and it made me stink like rust. <laughs> and I don't know what anyone at Lynx was thinking. Like, rust, like fresh rust. I had the what was the blue one? It was kind of like blue gel one. Yeah, God, that I, one. I can remember. I that. don't know. Blueberry Crush. Uh, <laughs> It's not original source, mate. Yeah. This links back from uh, when we had... I can't remember how we got onto smelly Bond villains. No. I think it was on our... I think we, we said most Bond villains would smell nice. Yeah, I can't That was where we well, came from. We were from. saying that Safin would smell nice, were we? Well, and yeah, and we said Raoul Silver would definitely smell nice. And I think Le Chiffre would smell nice mm. before the torture section. Yeah, then you smell the sweaty bollocks. Yeah. Um, John also thinks that... that? Be- you just made an odd hand gesture for sweaty bollocks. <laughs> I don't know. It's very- it looked like you were sort of... It's very partridge. Getting the sweats out. <laughs> um, Extracting. John would also bet that the best smelling would be Elliot Carver from Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Who I bet would smell sophisticated as fuck. He just looks like the type to drop a packet on aftershave. He's the one that got punched onto a drill, isn't he? Is that is Robert he the Carlyle? News- is he the newspaper mogul? No. It's, um, Elliot Carver's Jonathan Price, right? Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Price. Yeah. Is he, he is the one that gets punched onto a drill. He gets pushed onto a... Um, Those Brosnan ones blur into yeah. one for me. He's on the conveyor belts, isn't he, where they package up the newspapers, I Oh, think. yeah, he's not punched onto a drill. No. <laughs> That's just Robert my favourite description. Is Robert Carlyle the one that gets punched onto a drill? I think he might no, be. Robert Carlyle gets a penetrated the with one, a... No, he's in, like, a nuclear reactor, and they oh. ram a, a nuclear rod into oh, him. Oh, yeah! Fucking hell. I'm looking uh, up who got punched onto a drill. Yeah. <laughs> it might go in one of my quizzes. <laughs> punched onto a drill. But I feel like those are good Bond. shouts for smelly Bond villains, both ends of the scale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, please send in more feedback about smelly Bond villains. Uh, yeah, we're weirdly into it. <laughs> love them. Matt, I believe there may be some... Oh, no, Joe okay. even, sorry. Me. There may be some included in your email. I can't find who got drilled. Hello, <laughs> this is from... Uh, Don't just search someone being drilled. I did, <laughs> and I'll be in trouble. <laughs> Uh, this is from CJ in Nebraska, USA. Ooh. Is Nebraska a cold one? It is. I think so, yeah. There's a sad the, film set there, that's all I, I know. Think, are they the Huskies? 
There's probably no one here is going to answer me that. Nope. Hey guys, love the podcast. I had a couple of thoughts after your last episode. I know you aren't reading feedback for a bit, but still thought I'd throw a few things out there. Worth it, CJ. We're doing it. Joe, I also cry every time I watch the episode Tales of Ba Sing Se. That is from Avatar. It's the one that I said made me cry. Which I'm going to start watching soon. I've made oh, the it's good. It made it worse when I realised Mako, the voice actor of Iroh, who is the character that made me cry, died shortly after that episode was recorded, which is true. They dedicate that, that is sad, sad bit to the sad man double sad uh, um, learning he had died really hit me hard which was strange as I only know him as the voice of Iroh and that strange wizard from the Conan the Barbarian <laughs> movies he's also um, the evil guy in Samurai Jack whose name I can't remember he's fucking amazing have any of you ever had a similar experience namely had a really emotional reaction <laughs> to learning a celebrity who you knew next to nothing about had died Bowie don't know about next to nothing uh we talked about yesterday when Philip Seymour Hoffman went. That was a sad oh, one. Oh, that sucked. I but that's like watching incredible. potential just go... Exactly, because it was because it was a, a bad one. I was it? really sad about Anton Yelchin, because that's just fucking yeah. horrible mm-hmm. as well. And that's that just, those are ones that get me like... Like, suicide Needless. is awful and overdose awful. But when it's just like misadventure and accident... Like I think the same with Jeff Buckley as well. Yes. That was just swimming. Yeah. It, Imagine it, just going for a swim. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Just imagine. What's I haven't swam in fucking ages. I've not done a swam <laughs> in fucking Ever ages. Ever since I listened to Grace by Jeff Buckley, I'm, like, I'm not going fucking swimming. Water, even still water, is dangerous. No, even fucking lilac water. You can drown in an inch of the stuff. Mm, there. Uh... So there you go. Have you ever reacted really badly to a celebrity dying? Not necessarily. So I've reacted like Bowie. <laughs> you celebrate was. every time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a absolutely. win for the working man. <laughs> Thatcher. Absolutely. Thatcher. <laughs> uh, I can remember being affected by Bowie, but that's because Bowie is a musical hero of yeah. mine. But in terms of like people that I only knew, like when Rutger Hauer died, like mm. I only really know him from Blade Runner, but Blade Runner is one of my favourite films mm. of all time. So that, and especially that film being basically about death. Yeah, that was weird. quite weird, yeah. I think Carrie Fisher was one for a few people as well. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird when you, someone dies and you only realise what you were missing once they died. Yeah. Like Carrie Fisher yeah. is one of those where I was like, I had no idea she did amazing writing. I had no mm. idea, like I just didn't pay she's attention. She's one of Hollywood's best script doctors, yeah, basically. she's incredible. I think it's one of those when you realise you're never about to meet them or see them live. Like yeah. Bowie is one I never... I'll never see him play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember that stuff when, when, because I was never really a big sort of wham sort of thing, but when George Michael died and there was all that all those stuff, amazing stories, stories about yeah. him. Yeah. And that was like, oh shit, like this sort of little hero was just there behind the but scenes. But that's the way he wanted to be. So yeah, it's almost it's like sad that mm-hmm. you didn't know, but like, it's Joyous also exactly what he yeah. liked. Mm-hmm. There's but, a few I'm not looking forward to. Oh, man. Like, Harrison Ford will be a massive one for I me. I saw Vic Reeves trending the other day and oh, I was like, no. fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> that would kill me I can remember when Rickman went that was, oh, that was like I absolutely yeah. love Rickman yeah. and like I don't I'd seen Rick, like I'd not been able to meet him but he I went to see um, a double bill of Attack the Block and uh, Die Hard Good. put together Very and Rickman nice. was there to introduce <gasps> Die Hard oh, and so that's bastard. the closest I ever got to him but that was like yeah. a year before he died that's insane yeah. don't like it and I, Attenborough that'll be one. Oh yeah that's I, not far away <laughs> I had a um what do, you, what do you know? <laughs> I don't know anything. I'm I, um, not planning it. <laughs> planning a hit. Fun, fun, fun little fact about me is anytime I have to name a team or a group of people in a game, they are always named Rick Mania. <laughs> I don't know why. I just really liked him. Rick Mail, another one. Yeah, Rick Mail. Well, yeah, he was one of those ones that I wasn't super attached to until mm. afterwards. And then Krupa made me like him. Uh, <laughs> 
What was the next one? Also, yeah. Max Zorin from View to a Kill <laughs> probably smells amazing. Well, Boris Krishenko. Grishenko? That's another one for Boris Krishenko. Yeah. Uh, probably smells like Doritos and stale Russian farts. That's two votes so far for Boris Krishenko. Krishenko's got a smelliest bomb for them. Is Krishen- Wait, so Krishenko's which one? Golden. Oh, yeah, he's the I'm invincible. Yeah, yeah he would definitely stink. Uh, keep up the great work and have a happy series of holidays. I think we all did, apart from Matt, who did nothing, <laughs> apparently. Uh, P.S. I'm one of the people who listens to It's Football Day who knows next to nothing about football, much less football manager. I'm just a big fan of y'all's camaraderie and infectious joy. It's always fascinating to me to hear people talk about something with great passion and care, even if I'm not familiar with the topic, so please keep putting out episodes. That's why I listen to Wrestle Me. Um, I don't give a single hoot about wrestling, uh, but I really like listening to people who really like things, and that's fun. I recommend Wrestle Me. It's good. What do you think about Rosa Kleb? Is she stinky? Oh, which one's Rosa Kleb? From Russia with Love. Oh, with the shoe. Yeah. <laughs> she I'm got stinky shoes. Enough. She could have stinky shoes. <laughs> she could have very stinky yeah. shoes. Not sure. Killer shoes. <laughs> It's one of my favourite fight scenes. It's mad. The end of that film is insane. (laughs) I just don't know Bond. From Russia with Love is a good one. From Russia with Love is my favourite Bond. Really? Zach Connors. Yeah. That's the third ever one. Second Second. one. Yeah. It's all mostly set on a train. It's great. It's It's really low key. Sounds like Poirot. Effectively, it is. Sweet. I'm going to watch that. It is a proper proper British spy film rather than a bomb film, which is why I like it. I've got the whole Blow Rose set if you ever ever need a little uh, tickle. I'll come to I'll head down your end. Should we just do the marathon? (laughs) No. Right, I've got something in from Marty Schroeder. Hello, I do Marty. wonder if every time, like, so many people must be like, Marty, we've got a good idiot, you, Marty. <laughs> you watched Back to the Future over the holiday, didn't yeah. you? I did, it's a good film. Did you man, as well? It? Yeah, I, I genuinely adore Back to the Future. Oh, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I think that's one of those films that, does anyone not like, it's, it's hard to not like that film. I think you I know someone who be. hates it. What? Absolutely How can fucking you hate hates that it. Film? It's just so likeable yeah like, I could see is... not caring I can't see hating see he's he's quite a prickly character so <laughs> sounds like a bit of a prick not like Marty who <laughs> says hope you had <laughs> hope it's not your dad <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, lads, hope you had a great Christmas and New Year big fan of the podcast I know Joe, Joe hates positive reinforcement mm-hmm. so fuck you all thank you well, well not uh, you can just fuck no fuck us all <laughs> I've been thinking about my games of the decade and about how my personal taste has shifted. Around 2010, I was hugely into open world games, such as World of Warcraft and Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I'm 23, uh, being through uni and working in a high-pressure job, I find my time a lot more limited. I now appreciate a really tight, challenging, story-driven game with elements of exploration and choice. To name a couple, Dark Souls 3, Divinity. Yeah, okay, that's quite big. As is Dark Souls 3. Yeah, those are <laughs> small games. And I'm currently enjoying Fallen Order. Yeah. Some of my other favourites have been XCOM 2, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 2 3, uh, Black Ops 3 from the nostalgia of playing with friends after school, and GTA 4 and 5. Black Ops 3 playing with friends after school. Fuck yeah, it I know. I, 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 Grow up! This stuff, like, you know, when people have been talking about like what they've achieved this decade, yeah. it's like, I started working in games in 2011. Like, my entire decade has been as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I started at a pub, and now I'm here. It's like I, that Drake song. Yeah. Started uni in 2010. So. Did you? Yeah. You see, you still got like I was just I've got a bit of bridge. I've got half work, half fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Um, anyway. Not that work isn't fun. Uh, <laughs> <up>. Anyway, <laughs> Marty to conclude says, but in summary, I'd like to know if you guys feel the same as me in terms of game taste. 
Is it just my personal evolution, or hopefully not sounding too wanky, does it reflect the gaming climate that gamers are becoming less receptive to giant open world games unless they're of high quality and depth? Also, do you have any thoughts on how games may change or adapt in the next decade? Love you all. I think oh. the reason that like cultural shift has happened is not because gamers don't like the same things. It's because the people talking about them have got older. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, we didn't have... 40 to 50 year old games journalists and now we do because people stay in the same career because it actually exists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the reason yeah there is a there is a fundamental push for shorter games at this point Mm. because a lot of the people who are able to talk about them to you want that because they got kids and that or like me I can't be asked. <laughs> or you're like me who has no responsibility can play Red Dead twice in a year (laughs) can be little freak Um, that said like my favourite game of the decade and all time is Breath of the Wild which is fucking enormous and I played that not long ago so my taste of change I was never into online multiplayer games at all it's only ever really since I've got older and I've people I work with and stuff actually I never used to play Overwatch or see or any games like I played Modern Warfare online but never really with friends I just played it yeah more Mm. last no wait two decades ago now technically um that would have been when I played online the most, but I would almost never play with friends, like mm. maybe a bit mm-hmm. of Halo. But that was usually you go online to play with strangers yeah. who scream at you. Yeah. Uh, and this decade has always been like, if I'm going to play online, I will only play with my Pretty friends. Pretty much, yeah. Unless it's something like Apex, which you can ping. Yeah. But even that is people just run off and it's a nightmare. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I still love open world games, but it has. It, I am more picky. Like There are definitely more than there used to be, and it, I just do get overwhelmed. Unless it's something like Red Dead that just gets into me. Like, but. benefits of the job, I guess. But, like, mm. I guess my tastes have shifted more because I'm immersed in it all the time. So when I was younger, yeah, I was playing, like, at uni, I was playing Skate and Fallout. Sure. And, you know, mm. stuff that was big. And now I go actively searching for weird shit because yeah. you do. Well, like, like, I've got the time to. Like we were talking, me, Matt, and Dev have had a similar experience with the Outer Worlds. Like, yeah. we've all played probably like six to ten hours oh, a day. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. And I, I was enjoying it, kind of, but I knew exactly what it was, and I have no real desire I think to the weird thing it. is with the Outer Worlds is, like, it's on paper, fun. it's exactly what, what my tastes are. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. It's too prescribed to what I would play. Yeah. Because the thing that I found is, so, I guess similarly to Marty, like, my, cha- my tastes have changed. It's not that they've changed, it's they've adapted and widened yeah and i think for me it's very clearly it's about the different phases that have been in my life and who i've spent that with yeah so at uni was kind of all the games that i played was just stuff that i knew that i'd like because of personal growth through yeah. you know i knew i liked sci-fi i knew i liked fantasy mm. um and then when i moved uh, to bath and lived with a new set of people that had got like one was super into J- Japanese stuff and I'd always aside from Pokemon really and obviously I've got a long love of Final Fantasy but that was my only real Japanese sort of side yeah. and she introduced me to all of this sort of new stuff and then um, I lived with a guy called Ben who was massively into Blizzard stuff which is how I started to get I'd, already, I'd done WoW before but I'd never really done Diablo and that's how I got into Overwatch and stuff like that mm. Um, and then, then moving to London, you know, I'm with you guys, and you guys have different tastes again. And like one of the things, I've really and unfortunately, loved, I hate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like, like Joe, you bring an awful lot of the weirder stuff, which is kind of what I used to associate with Freak. Kelly when I used to live in mm. Bath. And so that's really nice to have somebody that's in the party that's constantly going, "Here's some mad shit that you," because <laughs> I probably would never have played Outer Wilds, even though I'd right, actually yeah, played yeah. Outer Wilds at E3 and liked it. Yeah, 
but it's probably because you were playing it that I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to mm. play it. Mm. And it's just those, I think the people that you're with really help sort of expand. It's, and you're just and massively into Football Manager now as well. Yeah, super <laughs> yeah, into absolutely. Football Manager. <laughs> Didn't you want us to prepare our games of the decade? Just for a few, because I thought... Uh, Marty mentions his there and I thought yeah. I did mine I posted on Twitter like an annoying prick yeah. I, I got Look, so people close people follow you for pu- on purpose so I, know, I wouldn't worry about it but uh, I was because I was like I don't want to do the lists thing because it despite something. being the most listy person in the <laughs> web know. but I did it and I, it came out with Overwatch being number one just because mm-hmm. sheer amount kind of Full Manager exists in its own entity that is more than a game in a way to me it's just <laughs> oh, like yeah, I yeah. do yeah, but um, so that's kind of I play that more than anything any other year. But yeah. I kind of had Overwatch, and I think I had Red Dead Two, and then Red Dead One. Mm. I do love Red Dead. That's fair. To be fair, yeah. and I love westerns. And I remember the first time I played Red Dead One. That was like the first time a game properly felt cinematic to me. That was like yeah. the most film-like game I right. played at that point. And yeah, and you like films more than games. <sighs> Kind of. I don't yeah. know if I do. I think you do. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think you do. I like when they're Red Dead and Red Dead 2 and they merge beautifully they into do. one. It's quite amazing. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh. I had those and then I had like things like, I think then I had God of War because it is good. Yeah, God of War yeah. was up there for me. Yeah. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Binary Domain. Binary Domain. <laughs> I've never played Binary Domain. It's, it's cool. But it's more like... I hate lists. I'm really bad at lists. I, I have trouble remembering things that I like, never mind trying yeah. to put them in order. But so I kind of tried to think of like stuff that really made a mark. Mm. And like Breath of the Wild is obvious. Yeah. Binary Domain is just, I think it was one of the first times where it is kind of that thing of, I think it was Sean Bell, who's a friend of mine who does sure. the computer game show. I used to listen to a podcast he did back in the day and he would just talk about binary domain all the time. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, it sounds weird as hell. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the first time I can remember someone saying something over and over again and me just being like, fine, I'll just try it. And being like, oh my God, this is absolutely I incredible. I had the same experience and it was, um, I remember Dan Mayer, Mr. Pointy yeah. Head on uh, the Xbox Inside show. Xbox, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they just kept talking about it all the time. I was like, fine, I'll play it. And yeah. it was just like, shit, this is like, Shit, but brilliant shit. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all it's the U of games. Yeah, it's not <laughs> the U of games. It's a very good game. Yeah. Um, and the other one is PT, which is a game I can barely play, but I think is like fundamentally an important moment <laughs> in games making. There we go. Yeah. Uh, obviously, my top one is Divinity, just yeah. because of clearly. Mm. And then, um, like God of War is definitely in there, but we've already spoken that. So I think uh, Mass Effect Two for me, yeah. like absolutely mm-hmm. adore Mass Effect and have recently had a real pang of nostalgia for that era of Bioware I was literally on the way in this morning was thinking about Dragon Age 2 just mm. kept thinking about Dragon Age 2 that's the one <laughs> that everybody hates I think Dragon Age 2 is brilliant it's got, it sounds like mm. it's got a really good structure I never played it because yeah, I've got hated like it. a big essay in me about how <laughs> fucking good Dragon Age 2 is um, but um, aside from that Bioware stuff uh, Bloodborne for me mm. like mm. A, a really mechanically pure game that Again, I would never have got into were mm. it not for friends. And yeah. they just said, like, you love that. Because I love the look of it, but mm. would never play it because it was like, mm. I'm never going to play a Souls game. And they yeah. were like, just give it a go. And that was New Year's Day 2018, I mm. think. And just like nobody else in the house. And I was like, fine, I'll go into Kelly's room, take her copy of Bloodborne because she said I could borrow <laughs> it. And I'll give it an hour. Yeah. And then eight hours later, still playing it. And I was like, that's how I got nice. into it. I was like games. that, but I stopped after those eight hours. <laughs> like, no, werewolves yeah. suck. Uh, Fuck this game. <laughs> I think I also had like five, 
I think I had GTA 5 because I think it's very yeah. easy to forget how good that that's game is. That's the only 10 out of 10 I've ever given. There we go. Walking it's, around. It's almost I've, a given that GTA is incredible. Yeah. And you, yeah, like people forget yeah. what that means. Like I remember walking around Franklin's neighborhood doing nothing for two mm. hours yeah. <laughs> like, and just finding out that that up, up on the D-pad would do auto-talking, like mm. the mm. primitive version of what they did in Red Dead 2. Yeah. And I'd just be like, Oh my god! I remember when that came out on PC and being able to, and then obviously they did it in the in the newer book versions on console. The first person stuff. That is the most like a city I've ever felt. Like yeah, it yeah. genuinely feels like it's not a reconstruction; it's a living, breathing city yeah. that's all at the right scale that feels genuine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm hoping Cyberpunk does that. Yeah, mm. boy, that'll be good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's oh, really close. That is all of that. But now we have our long old Witcher interview. Yeah. Which it's I believe be there's really no spoilers. Podcast. There's yeah. no spoilers in the interview. No, so we, this was obviously conducted before the show went live. So it was stuff. There are some very very mild discussions about things that happen in the show, mm-hmm. but not on a plot point basis. It's more of a here's how timelines works, or there is a scene with a monster which is fought with a chain. You know, can yeah. you tell me about that? So yeah, it's everything that's in there. They were happy to talk about pre-release Sweet. of the show. Yeah, and then after that, we're going to have a little brief chat about what we thought of the witcher netflix so if you don't want any witcher spoilers turn yeah. off after the interview and we'll say bye to those who haven't seen the witcher sweet dreams and see you soon to those who have <laughs> if we could start with you lauren what drew you to the witcher and why did you want to put it on television um for me it's really about um the storyline between the three main characters. You know, as a writer, I always approach things from a character basis first. There's a lot of fun in this world to be had with monsters and magic and the, all the battles and the swordplay and mm-hmm. the blood and the sex. That All that's great. <laughs> um, but I have to approach it from what do I hang those decorations on? And it really is about the story between Geralt, Ciri, and Yennefer. Um, and I found that I could really, really relate to this the idea that all three of them are sort of walking in the world by themselves, orphans or loners living on the margins of society, and feeling like they didn't quite belong and weren't weren't wanted any place. And their reaction to that is to say, fine, we don't need anyone either. And then to start to see them come together and form this family, that's, that is what attracted me to the stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tommy, you've been longer with The Witcher, right? Well, yeah, I think... You know, you have to uh, take to consideration that I was uh, born in Poland and I was growing up in Poland. So for, for, for me, Witcher was with me since teenage years because those books were first published in the... Like, the, the, the first short stories were published in the 1980s, actually. So it was a long, long time. And I think I was just growing with them. And I was reading the books where where they were published and then... There was the uh, TV show, which was maybe not like the best TV show on earth, and there was this this th- thought that wow, maybe in the future it would be nice to actually do like a proper one, like a, like an additional like a new take on on this. And it took a while. Uh, in the meantime, I, I was also involved involved with the CD project a little bit in their game and and the great work they did, and I, it just grew in me. Like like, and at some point I thought, hey, why not just try? And, and, and why not to try to write and ask Autor himself what he thinks about this idea. And we are here. <laughs> that was like yeah. 10 years ago, though. Yeah, it was 10 years ago, but I'm stubborn. <laughs> 
<laughs> and just Tommy, you, if if I'm quite right, with the CD project side stuff, it was cinematics work. Yeah, wasn't I, it? I was I was only doing doing like like movies for for the games because mm-hmm. I was never involved in the game design. Really, mm-hmm. it's it's like the field I have no idea about. But the thing that fascinates me about that is that means that you'd already got your foot in the idea of making a cinematic televisual idea of what that world was, right? Yeah, but because uh, it's when you grew up with the, in the Polish culture, with the Poli- Pol- Polish books, we have a lot of great books, like really beautiful, amazing stories, but at the same time um, there is not that many which are actually great material for, for adaptation, for, for a TV show, for because there is a lot of about ideas, about like big concepts and, and things like that, and uh, uh, books which were written by Andrew Sapkowski, they are all about characters. The, the world is beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a great world. The monsters, all the, the beauty of it and, and richness of it is great. But it's about characters. It's about family. It's about people getting together. It's about people you want to stay with. Mm. And, and it's a rare thing in, in, in Polish literature. So especially then, like 30 years ago, because since then, of course, a lot of things changed. But it's it, it was a natural uh, like choice, really. It, it, it wasn't <laughs> much thinking. Oh, but I, I think it was not only my dream to do it. There, there was more people who wanted to see it on screen. Mm-hmm. The reason, sort of, like why I sort of ask about sort of like that cinematic sort of side and bring it in is kind of like I wasn't sure, Lauren. Sort of like had you seen sort of that interpretation of the world and thought, you know, there's something about that and there's something about like what Tomek has brought to it that I want to bring to my sort of uh, Netflix's cinematic <laughs> version. So it's interesting, it's a little bit of the opposite, in okay. fact. And that's because what the video games do, they do very well. We don't need to try to compete with that at all. Mm-hmm. We love uh, we love the idea that the books and the video games in this television show are just three different ways of telling mm-hmm. similar stories. Um, and hopefully one, you know, one fan, one audience member can like all three of them. And it was, for us, it was about thinking of a new interpretation of the world. And it's something that actually Tomek mm-hmm. was incredibly helpful with because he had done some of the cinematics. He was familiar with that interpretation. And mm-hmm. so he was willing to work with us and our production designer, Andrew Laws, and all the people that sort of contribute to the visual look of the show um, mm-hmm. in making something that felt new. Yeah, and, and, and we also had a great source material. So, so we could actually uh, refer to, to the material which was like beyond games. It was like, like a foundation of, of the games, and we could start start with it. And also, it's a, it's a, like a bigger th- thought. And, and maybe um, I actually expect that some people in the future will be following our steps because uh, we all seen, for example, a lot of not maybe not very very well done game adaptations, right? Mm-hmm. Because what's the reason in making it? for the screen the same way, mm-hmm. w- w- why to watch it? And, and for, for us, it was very, very important from the very beginning that we want to propose a slightly different visual language, slightly different way of telling the story, because I, I believe people actually expect it. Yes, maybe they will say that they want to see the same, but no, it's not really the true. Right, because they can yeah. always go back and play the games. Yeah, they can go, go back and play the game, which is great. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very, very well done game. Why to do it again? <laughs> yeah. The the one thing that what sort of, I guess this line of questioning sort of comes to is something that when I first saw the trailer for this show, there's a bit where Geralt's got a chain mm-hmm. and he's swinging it, and I was like, I've read that story mm-hmm. and I've seen that cinematic. <laughs> I know where we're going with this, and I was just wondering, sort of like, when you were building 
that scene mm -hmm. you've obviously got you've already been involved in mm -hmm. creating that scene before you've got a book to work from uh -huh. what was it like building that sequence you know how Geralt fights and you've made him fight that fight before what was it like creating the television version of it and were you inspired by what Tomic have done before you know what's interesting <laughs> about that is is that we bring in this new element that mm -hmm. that has never existed before in the books or video games which are actors <laughs> um, which is that you know Geralt um, in the books obviously is is the creation of the author and the creation of the author's mind and, and you can do anything you want with that character. Then you have a visual side mm -hmm. added, which the video game company, which CD Projekt did. Um, then you have Ross, which we have all of that. Mm -hmm. And then we add in an actual actor who has a physicality of his mm -hmm. own and who has skills of his own. What was really interesting is taking from the books Geralt's fighting style and adapting that into Henry himself, because one of the things that we love about Henry is that he does all of his own stunt work. Um, there is no one else who ever plays Geralt on the screen. Um, anytime you see any part of Geralt uh, in and out of fights, it's always Henry. Well, Henry is mm -hmm. six foot two and has a particular build, and there are some ways that he moves very well. There are some mm -hmm. things that, you know, it's sort of like drawing his sword out. We realized very quickly that you know mm -hmm. the the uh, <laughs> angles of his arms and his back was like how do we how do we do this? So a lot of it is is adapted to Henry um, and his skills. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing is bringing in a stunt team that knows him, has worked with mm -hmm. him, and was able to sort of showcase the best possible things. Um, so really, mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't not mm -hmm. that I wasn't inspired mm -hmm. by you, Tomek. I'm inspired by you all oh. the time. But <laughs> it really was about taking the source material from the mm -hmm. books and then taking Henry and seeing what we could bring to life. There is quite special thing about this particular scene because it's actually one of the few scenes in the whole saga, with, with all, with, with, in the whole story, which actually is really really well described mm -hmm. in details so so there is no 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 surprise that there is some similarities between the the game interpretation and our inter interpretation because we are getting it from the source material so but but there there is also a lot of teamwork this scene was shot by Alex Garcia Lopez who was our, our like really great director who's doing uh, the third and fourth episode and we were there with him and there was like it was like almost th three weeks to shoot this scene. Yeah, so it's a long time. <laughs> it took a while, and uh, I I'm glad you liked it. That chain is from the books, so the um yeah. the knuckles, right? The knuckles yeah, are also uh, from the books. There, all, all, all the elements are yeah. actually are, are. It's it's one of the few uh, fight scenes in in the book which is really really detailed, mm -hmm. because usually Andrew was just like very quickly describing the the fight. And then we were we were going to after fight, right? In this story, we have actually quite nice description what uh, Geralt is using, when, how, how it's being done, and we just followed the the lead. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pause for a moment to allow you to bring some some oh, orange some juice. Orange juice. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. I'm pour a little bit of sugar. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Still. Yes. Thank All of a sudden, I was like, That's okay. oh, I need water. Yeah. <laughs> so that I don't spill. I love that you had orange juice brushed in. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just, I, I, my, my brain needs sugar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Right. We're back. I love that you mentioned action and the idea of bringing Henry into it, but I think The Witcher has like a really interesting direction to the way that action is shot, and it is mm -hmm. unlike a lot of fantasy. Like, I am used to 
forgive me for bringing up Game of Thrones, but it has a very sort of historic, almost like slightly historically accurate way of dealing with sword fights. Right. Whereas The Witcher, for as far as I can see, is like, no, we're fantasy. We're going to go all out on what Geralt can do. Mm-hmm. Can sure. you explain about sort of bringing that to life? Mm-hmm. Well, also, what's interesting is because... Geralt has special abilities. He obviously mm-hmm. he went through something called the Trial of the Grasses, um, which is the sort of source mm-hmm. of his mutations. Then he takes these elixirs, which activate things inside him, which improve his mm-hmm. eyesight, improve yeah. his speed, his stamina, slow his heartbeat down. So we get to play into the magic. We're, we don't have to be historical because he's actually taking things to alter his performance he, he, he's in that a moment. Superhuman, and we have to do the fight which fits a superhuman. Mm-hmm. And also, Henry's superhuman. Yeah, I was going to say, Henry's <laughs> fairly superhuman yeah. as well. Um, obviously, it's not just not just Henry sort of being there. He comes equipped, as do his foes, or sometimes monsters, uh, with incredible costumes and swords and all of this. Mm-hmm. This this must have been quite an undertaking for like your costume and props department. Absolutely. Oh, we yeah. have um, an armorer named Nick Jeffries, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's great about sort of working with an armorer is he pulls from all sorts of different historical resources and looks at sort of the history of our characters, where they would have come from, you know, are they people who live mm-hmm. in the woods and who form, uh, you know, uh, weapons out of bones or wood versus out of steel or metal. Um, and then he works very closely with the actor, so everything is about proportion. Henry, because Henry does his own not work. Everything was about the weight of the sword in his hand and the balance of the sword. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have rubbers. You have to have fake swords yeah. <laughs> um, so that people don't get, you know, murdered yeah. on our set. <laughs> um, you know, so, and then and then costumes is, is its own thing, too, because again, and these are departments that have to work very closely together, because a lot of Henry's costume as Geralt is about armor and about where his weapons go and how he has quick access to things. Um, I'm sure Henry will tell you that he ended mm-hmm. up sleeping in that armor sometimes yeah. and wandering around his house and making breakfast in that armor because it was important to him that it feel lived in and real, not like it came from, you know, a, a movie house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's really visible. I, I mean, especially leather. The, the way leather get, gets older, it, has to be, it actually has to be worn. To, to look good, mm-hmm. so so, uh, so it's uh, and also I, I think uh, one of the important elements of the of the whole approach was that we really were focused on details and really were really deep into into this world to make one sword like a hero sword uh, uh, like a forged one a metal one it's almost twelve weeks mm-hmm. it takes time uh, and we had to be like very very precise about our decisions and way the ways we are go- going to, to not to make too many mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that we didn't make made any. <laughs> it happens all the time. All the time. But but um, it's it was a long long detailed process. Mm-hmm. You say sort of like how it's all in the details. Like I can see when I you know look at Geralt on screen, he's got the medallion, the swords. Uh, each one is mm-hmm. unique and stuff like that. And it's like. Um, you say so. Twelve weeks, presumably, that's to forge a sword. To forge a sword. The design process, presumably, is a lot longer than that. It's longer yeah. than that, you yeah. know. And it really is about, um, and and the design for each weapon is so different because, of course, it's like, what does this need to do in our story? Where does it live? Does it live on his back? Does it live on Roach? Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of the design mm-hmm. element too is about. How beautiful is it? Where was it made? Is it a sword that he's been carrying for a long time that was forged at Kermorin, but then has been repaired and, and you know added mm-hmm. to throughout the process? How old is the sword? I mean, it's 
Well, one Serious. Of the, one of the <laughs> great things about Nick, our armorer, is that he tries to, to give a like a story to, to every weapon, mm -hmm. and also he loves to tell all the stories like uh, how people were killing each other in the past, and he's great in it. Yes, <laughs> it's absolutely <great>. terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Uh, but but he also w was trying to to put some some story to every weapon he was forging and every weapon he was designing that okay this weapon went through this and this and this and this was the his history of this weapon so it was it was really really a great experience to have people like that mm -hmm. I think sort of like um, Geralt's kind of look and armor is what I expected I think having read some of the books and stuff like that um, the Nilfgaard armor so kind of caught me off guard a little bit and I was like wow now this is something I've never seen before so I was wondering where the ideas for that quite striking design comes from you and everyone else <laughs> Um, what was important for us about the Nilfgaardian army um, was was to bring it away from the Sintran army. The Sintran army is the first one that we meet. Mm -hmm. um, we are there in a knighting ceremony with Calanthe and with King Aist, and you're seeing this incredibly well-trained army um, that comes from a kingdom with a lot of money. And then we wanted to mm -hmm. contrast that to Nilfgaard, which obviously is a very powerful army as well, but is moving northward and has been moving north for a while and conscripting new people into their army. And for mm -hmm. us, it very quickly became like, what what can look like they picked it up, they did it quickly, they put it on them. It's not meant to mm -hmm. have the same uh, look yeah. as a standard, a standard armor. And also it was, I think, quite important to make them look alien in a way, that they are different. It's, it's like this huge group of people coming from the, from the south who are just aliens, almost. And, and yeah, of course, probably some of the, our decisions were controversial, and, and we will be <laughs> like, uh, uh, probably answering this in, in the future. But, um, but I think this, this army works in numbers. When, when the Sintron army has 200 soldiers, they have uh, 20,000. And, and it's, it's about numbers. It's about like covering uh, other armies with, with people. And there were armies like that in the in the past and, and in the history of, of human race, and they were actually quite effective. They were not looking great, <laughs> but, <laughs> but effective, but, killing but machines. There, but there is something terrifying when when you you are killed by that type of army. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> not, yeah. <laughs> I think you know so much of the Witcher is told through its visual design because you need to. For example, so like Nilfgaard looks one way, but they're you know coming up to Sintra, and Sintra has its own. I felt almost like a utopian sort of look to it. There's a lot of mm -hmm. white sort of stone, very polished armor. I'm just mm -hmm. wondering, sort of like from your perspective, when you're designing a kingdom and like their iconography and stuff like that, what are you looking to portray for like Sintra, for example? Well, what I love about sort of the visualization. Of, of Sintra, it's the perfect example. You meet them in, in the pilot episode. You see this beautiful castle, these, mm -hmm. these gorgeous people in jewel-toned velvet, and they look like they have it all. That's where you wanna live, right? Mm -hmm. If you're gonna be on the continent, you wanna live in Sintra. And then what we start doing throughout the series is unpeeling that and realizing that what is on the surface is maybe not what's happening underneath. 
what we love doing is finding that contrast in our visual world versus what's actually happening because it's a, a that's sort of a microcosm for the world of the witcher anyway which is there is no simple black or white things that may seem good are not always good things that seem evil or villainous actually have quite a pure motivation at times and to us that playing with that in the visuals is is really just sort of a it's the undercurrent of the entire series and, and it's also something which, which answering to the real world because most of the wealth in this world was built on terror mm-hmm. <laughs> and we forgot about it yeah our grand grandfathers were murderers sometimes and we forgot about this so 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 it's it's quite quite important to 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 have this type of um uh storytelling in our uh, in, in the way we are describing the, the world of witcher because world of witcher is basically our world mm-hmm. but with a couple of dragons and other yeah. monsters <laughs> some monsters yeah. our world plus monsters yeah. mm-hmm. i think sort of like the the ultimate sort of builds that is that actually visualization is plot visualization is character right yeah um, absolutely and so talking about character i'm wondering um because the witcher has you know is a polish story and, and you know, it comes from that sort of culture it brings something very different to what western fantasy does sort of like american fantasy or british fantasy i was wondering if you could kind of distill that down for me and tell me what you think makes this Ooh. quite clearly not what it's not lord of the rings it's not no. game of thrones it's not any of these more well-known you know, British authors or American mm-hmm. authors. There's something very different about this, right? Super specific. Um, Super specific, yes. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. the best way because we'll probably distill this in different ways. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, for me, I always expected fantasy to be pure escapism. I think that was my conceit of fantasy and certainly an American conceit, which is you... You know, with fantasy books, you put yourself in them and you never have to think about your own life. The Witcher is very different. The Witcher, you put yourself in it and you think, oh, God, like there are a lot of things happening that are very reflective of our current world. What we realized even just in these interviews is these books were written in the 1980s and they were reflective of the world then. And that tells us that not a whole lot has changed in <laughs> the last... Or maybe the rest of the world catch up to, to, be, to become like Poland. Yeah, that's I'm true. not sure it's, 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 it's great, but maybe... <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, what do you think is different? Uh, I, I think, and we talked about it many, many times, uh, I, I think it's a slightly different tone than, than Western uh, fantasy because mm-hmm. it, it, we, we, we learned to, to understand genre in general as so something clear. Okay, this is, this is thriller, this is drama, this is uh, horror, something like that. And mm-hmm. which is something else because it's it kind of mixed. And, and the, the reason it is mixed because... Um, Polish experience is also mixed. There were, there were, we were laughing during the time of terror, and we were crying during the time of joy. It's, it's, it's kind of like the world is looking right now, and it's very human also. Mm. And I, I think uh, one of the things we tried to do on, 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 on in, in this TV show, and I, I think we succeed really, was to, to, to get that tone right, to, to, to find this balance. That sometimes when something dramatic happens, it doesn't mean that everybody reacts the same way. And, and, and sometimes somebody will tell the joke in this situation and it will be fine because it's a human reaction. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, for me, certainly this is the, the thing which makes Witcher special. And it, it also makes it very fresh for the current audience because the world became a little bit more chaotic and a little bit more blended. And it's, it's fun. It's cool. 
you sort of mentioned the idea of like realizing that actually those books were written at a specific time in history and they were reflective of where the world was there. Obviously, there are certain original sections that you've written for the show. Mm -hmm. Is it tempting to look at where the world is now and try and find, you know, sort of like a parallel, or are you looking to parallel the feeling of the world from those books in the time that were written? Well, I think that, that uh, for better or for worse, a lot of the issues are the same now. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I look at, when I try to boil The Witcher down into some of its main thematics, um, I think it's a world where a lot of people feel like they don't belong. And that certainly is, mm -hmm. uh, is what people can personally relate to right now. And I think you can relate to it on a, on a small level, which is like, I don't feel like I belong uh, with my family, or I don't feel like mm -hmm. I belong with this group of friends, I need to find a new group of friends. Or you can blow it up to a macro level, which is the plight of immigrants in our world right now, and ending up in a world where they feel like they're not wanted, or they're not enough, or mm -hmm. they don't belong. Um, I think you can look at all of those themes sort of on a really personal level or on a more global level. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think people very often forget that original Witcher books are like deeply, deeply diving into the really difficult topics of racism and, and, mm. and sexism and all those things we, we have around and they will stay with us. It's, it's a human nature. Right. So, so, so it's not something which will disappear, but it's something we can talk about and we can uh, look for solutions and, and we can uh, say that, hey, this world also needs girls <laughs> sometimes to say, hey, we, we don't do this, right? <laughs> Let's not do it. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting. It's really, it's really fun. And for, for me personally, uh, it's, it's really also really, really interesting that this book was written 30 years ago in a very, very different environment. And it also tells a lot about Andrew Sapkowski, who, mm. who was the author of the books, because he's seen things nobody else saw at that time. Mm -hmm. um, when you're looking at these books, and obviously you've got to turn these into television, very, very different yeah. medium. Incredibly, yes. And you, I think one of the challenges is, certainly if I was to sit down and try and do this, my challenge is I look at them and go, well, there's a set of short stories here that do one job, but there's also the saga that mm -hmm. does another job. And I think it would be very tempting to just go, well, we ignore the short stories and we tell the overarching plot because that's what te television at the moment is very focused on, the serialised nature yep. and big chunky stories. You have not done this. <laughs> you have gone and taken short stories and made what almost sort of, to a degree, feels a little bit like an X-Files or a Supernatural <laughs> or where you've got really cool, here's Geralt doing a contract. Yep. And I was just wondering why you took this approach, because that sounds like it must have been a very difficult decision to have come to. Um, it was a difficult decision. It's actually something we talked about in our very first mm -hmm. meetings, which is, do we start with a saga, which, mm -hmm. as you said, it's it's everyone's expectation that we would start with that because that is a serialized story that is laid out for mm -hmm. us that we can sort of see that's episode or season one, that's season two, that's season three. But The Last Wish was the first book I read. And it is, to me, such the foundation of the world of The Witcher. It's a great mm -hmm. introduction to it where you understand, one, what witchers are, what they do, and more important than that, what their place is in the world. You start to build out the politics of the continent, all of the different kingdoms, humans versus mutants, why it happened, the history. Um, so I didn't want to leave those stories behind. The, the tricky part was 
like taking those stories that I wanted to do, but also finding a place for Siri and Yennefer in them, um, which is probably the biggest structural change we've made to the books, um, which is taking their stories and bringing them into a different timeline. And so that we understand that all three of these characters are not living at the same time in the same place all the time, um, but we can tell their three equal stories and really build them from the ground up and make sure that all of these characters have the same sort of foundation, I suppose. Because to me, when they start interacting, when they start becoming the family that we all want them to be, if each of the three of them isn't clearly drawn, if we don't care about them deeply, care about their histories and their fears mm -hmm. and their loves and their journeys, then we're not going to care what happens when they're together. We have all three of them that are really interesting characters now, and when they start interacting, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty uh, fiery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and also, well, and there is also a puzzle element into this because mm -hmm. it, it's 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 really it was really fun to like put all those puzzles in the early episodes for the people to sort out, okay, where, when we are actually in the storyline, when in the story of Ciri or Yennefer or Geralt we actually are, and, and when this, all storylines are coming together and, 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 and connecting. I think there will be a lot of additional value in rewatching the season because of it, because we really put a lot of Easter eggs in the <laughs> early episodes, which can be understood only after watching the whole season. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the Witcher doesn't do that is, again, a, I think a fantasy trope sort of now is you don't open on a sprawling map of the continent to <laughs> dictate where everybody is and show the movements of armies and stuff like that. You also, you're, as you say, each of your core trio of characters are in different time periods and you don't do that 25 years earlier or 30 years later or anything like that. Right. What was your thought process to making sure you still communicated, you know, what the geography of the world was, what the time periods were? You it's know, very difficult. It is difficult. Um, I think that it was important to me to trust our audience and to invite them on the journey with us as opposed to just telling them a story, which means that I think it's okay in episode one for an audience member who's not familiar with The Witcher, um, to think that Geralt and Ciri are just, you know, down the road from each other, each having their own experiences. It's only once that mystery starts to unfold that you need to start putting those pieces together. And really, to me, it comes at a specific point where you've seen a character die and then suddenly they're alive again. And you're like, oh, oh wait, something more is happening here. Um, some of it, too, was just practical. It's funny because I was very against um, adding any sort of chirons or any sort of labels on things. Um, and my argument to Netflix when we talked about this was when you have three simultaneous timelines, there's no, there's no standard bearer. You can't say three weeks later. Well, three weeks after the last story you saw, which is two years before the first story you saw, it actually starts to get more confusing. I would rather trust an audience just to come with us and, and, and sort of figure it out as they go along. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing, especially in a story that has video game fans that are used to making decisions, uh, to sort of step back and say, don't, you don't have to make decisions here. Just mm -hmm. be along for the ride. And also, I think we followed characters. And it was exactly the same method Andrew Sapkowski did when he was writing the books, because he never really had the map in the first 10 years. Mm -hmm. and, and the fans made the map for, for him. He never had like, <laughs> like a map. He, he sorted out like early, early days to, to make sure, oh, this is the continent. He started with characters, mm. not, not, not with the, where the, this river is going or where these mountains are. He started with characters and just followed their story. And, and this is what we did. Mm -hmm. We've only got time for one more question. Oh Since we're talking about character, mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you about um, just your feelings on Yennefer's story, because you actually get to tell the origin. 
I was just wondering, you know, what your approach to that was. Um, it's one of my favorite parts. So um, it was very intriguing to me when I first read the source material, and I actually asked Andrew about it when we met, because mm -hmm. um, I said I was surprised, frankly. Um, books written in the 1980s in Poland by a male author would have such strong and powerful and independent women. And he was very clear um, and has actually said in interviews that these are based on the women that he knew um, and the role of women mm -hmm. in a post-World War II society in Poland. Or um, in post-war society in Poland. Yes. Because we were at war all the time. All the time, like true. For, for, for <laughs> a thousand of years. So, so, so uh, I, I think it's a slightly different culture and our women had to be just strong because guys were dying all the time. Like, yeah, so women yeah. had to go from being the center of the home yeah. to being centers of communities and workplaces, and they really had to grow in, in sort of that importance. Um, what I So I loved that in the books, but what I found myself searching for was, well, how did she become that person? Um, and what was great about what Andrew did mm -hmm. is there are little lines here and there throughout the books that just sort of... Uh, allude to something that happened in the past or sort of uh, give a thought that Geralt says, I think this is what her past looked like. We as writers uh, went through and took out all of those passages and we culled them together and then we built a story for her so that we actually get to meet her family that has disowned her. We get to see where that pain is coming from. We get to see her, she has some physical deformities that very much inform what she wants when we find her as a much more powerful mm -hmm. mage. To me, that was really important because I needed her to be a multi-dimensional character. It wasn't good enough just to be strong and independent. We have to understand why and where and, and what her vulnerabilities are even within that. Because when you get to the core of Yennefer, it's, she doesn't just want power. Um, that's the interesting thing. There's a deeper sort mm -hmm. of vulnerable mushy side in her that wants something much more in this continent. And, and I needed to understand mm -hmm. why. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time for. But. I'm sure you could sit. I could sit here and talk about this all day. So could we. That's, uh, that's the <laughs> beauty of it. <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you thank so you. much. It's been wonderful. Welcome back to the first and probably longest podcast of the year. Yeah. Uh, Chunky one. Chunk I out. think we all... We're, we're so like-minded. Mm. A hive mind of sorts. I think we all have very similar opinions on The Witcher. Yeah. That it's decent. Yeah, I think good. I, I think you I like, like it, it slightly more. I think I like it more than Matt does, and I assume more than you do as I'd well. I'd give it like I pretty much agree with Matt's score. It's like a six or seven for I me. Mean, you yeah. should probably sort the stab. I am the official reviewer no. for IGN <laughs> yeah. on this one. So yeah. if you have any scorn about the six point five I gave the show overall, mm. uh, don't direct it There'll to me. <laughs> no more point fives. No, 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 no. We got rid of them. Mm -hmm. So would you? Is it a six not, or a seven? Fuck that? off. <laughs> No, the point of the post is any point decimal point reviews still exist yeah, as a yeah. piece of history. So mm -hmm. it's a six point five forever. Yeah, yeah. But if you had to review it, no. Um, <laughs> but I think the thing is, what I want to, you know, the, because people might not necessarily even know about this review or have read it and are only interested in the score. Six point five is. I liked it genuinely. Yeah. It is that above it's the, okay. the middle point. I I think it's a. a a pretty fun entertaining literally has the word entertaining in the summary yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it has quite a lot of flaws yeah. that prevented it from being the show that I think it could have I been I enjoyed it I never felt like it was a slog no I watched it in a few I watched like two or three episodes ago at a yeah. time and I I enjoyed it I did think it started strong and for me it gets progressively worse yeah 
So I uh, think its first three episodes are largely its stronger ones until then I think it's got a couple that are a slog. I think its penultimate episode is actually its best one. Which one was that? So that's the one where really all the timelines come together the, and it's the one where mostly oh, yeah, in Geralt is sort of locked in a dungeon for some of it. But my main th- sort of thought process there was this now actually feels like an ensemble show. Yeah. Everything is working together and you can see all of the links yeah. and all of the cogs are turning mm. and you get all the stuff with the chapter of mages deciding what they're going to do about Nilfgaard. Mm-hmm. It is about what is happening in the witch's world. It's yeah. about what's happening in the continent and those larger threads. Whereas I feel um, previous to that, I wanted it either to be individual short stories and you create an episode of the week structure, even though it's not by week. Um, which are just adapting those, or you're a serialized drama. And yep. like I think its problem is is the way it's structured is it wants to be everything. Yeah. And that sort of stuff, on, again, it's one of these things that on paper should absolutely be my back. My favorite book in the entire world is, is Cloud Atlas. <laughs> if you know how Cloud Atlas is structured, it is fucking bonkers. Yeah. It's across, what, six different time periods. None of it properly makes sense until you finish it. This should be my bag, but it's just one of those things where I admire what it's trying to do. I don't think it sticks. Well, I also think I think one of the best points you make in your reviews, which is that the structure is fine if it pays off. There's yeah, absolutely. And it no doesn't. Need for there it. isn't. A, there, it, it's not Westworld. It's not Cloud Atlas, yeah. where the the coming together of those timelines yeah. actually makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Like the only reveal we get out of it is that Geralt was in Sintra when it yeah, fell. Yeah. And that's mm. not really a narrative it's not reveal. Like, it, it's not like, wow, it was yeah. just kind of like, oh, that's cool. He was there yeah. when I was watching mm. that other stuff. And the that's thing it. is, is like, the weird thing that I found about it was is sort of like, so I started watching The Witcher quite a long time before anybody else got to because we got given the first yeah. five episodes. And what I was then very surprised about is going into the junkets to talk to Lauren. She's very, very open about the fact that it's in lots of different time periods and believes that the audience will understand it's this. It's not obvious. There is not. So if the whole point is is that it's not supposed to be cryptic, there's not because I wonder, there's a section where um, you see Sintra and a flag like waves over it. And, and then it as becomes the, flag, the Nilfgaard flag. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And as it goes away, you then see Sintra on fire. And I was like, if that had been done in episode one... Yes, indicate exactly what you then is you absolutely lay it clear to your audience what's going on mm. and I've been sort of accused of being a bit stupid by some <laughs> uh, readers which obviously you know though some readers like to be toxic in our comments I didn't find it confusing like I knew what was going on yeah. yes like it got to the point in episode 4 was when I realised properly what they were doing yeah it's not about the fact that it's not easy to decipher. It's about the fact that it shouldn't fucking be it there. Makes it makes the show worse. Yeah, it's yeah. not that it's it's not that it's too clever. There is yeah. absolutely no need for it. No, and I think we all agree that like didn't need any of the series stuff this no. season. I think I think a lot. I think the the series stuff adds something for people who know who Siri is mm-hmm. and what she means. Mm. But to like my girlfriend watched it, really, really liked it, yeah. like a lot more mm-hmm. than than I did. But. A, like the structure confused the fuck out of it and mm. I think it would have helped mm. a lot more for people who don't know the source material to just have it in an order not yeah. so that it's so that they learn like how things progress yeah like for people like even for sorceresses mm. and that kind of stuff it's not really made clear yeah. even though that is broadly chronological yeah. um, I did just want more Monster of the Week stuff is what I wanted really I wanted you wanted Witcher <laughs> to do Witcher stuff I wanted basically less 
I'm not that big into the. I feel like there's far too much of Yennefer on the screen. Do I really See, I like, like the Yennefer really? stuff? I think the oh, Yennefer yeah, is not, actually I'm... like. I think Geralt is like Henry Cavill is the strongest at portraying his character. I think Geralt is the the strongest on screen presence they've got. Mm. I think Anya's Yennefer is the most interesting and the most well developed story oh, that she... they've got. I don't know. I just found her, and I know her character is quite precocious and annoying, but it just annoyed me. I, I find I find her much more annoying when she's all powerful, Yennefer. Yeah. But like the movement, the the particularly the first like three ish episodes, I really enjoyed the character starting and getting yeah, to a place. Yeah, I, I like, like that. I just I think it annoyed me near the end where they do basically sideline Gerald for the last one and a half episodes to two episodes, and it. I don't know. I I wasn't into the big old mage battle. That no, wasn't for me. I quite liked I it. I didn't like it. I, I think it's it got silly. some really fun, inventive. Like I like the chemical weapons yeah, sort of yeah, side yeah. of it. I like using thinking with portals. Quite literally. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Um, I don't think the show's CGI budget quite carries that. No, absolutely that. not. And also, yeah, one of the things on the I put in my dragon. review is that I don't by at that point Yennefer becoming a general yes. I think all of that felt much more sense for Tissaia to be yeah, the person that was doing it. that whereas I absolutely buy that in the time period because like it's been like at least 30 or well, 40 that's what years they don't yeah. convey at all I'm like how much time has passed here yeah, yeah. like and like I accept that she probably could have learnt to be but a we have good, no reason to see no that. there's no and like it's it's not like you have introduced this character as a general. It's yeah. like there needed to have been at least an episode or half an episode in which mm. you see her making really interesting strategic decisions that yeah. set you up yeah. for that episode. And I agree. This comes from me loving The Witcher 3 mm. and Triss is my option over Yennefer. Oh, she and is, they do such a disservice She's with very Triss. bad. She yeah. is so bland and they Think give none her of the spark. And it's like, in The Witcher 1, she's very different in the games yeah. to what she is in The Witcher 2 and 3. Like, mm. there is, there was definitely, it's not just like a re-engineering of some of the way they portray her. Like, her entire character model was rapidly changed. Mm. Um, but still, in The Witcher 1, which I've been, well, I've replayed nine hours of it until I realised, like, it's actually not a good game. It's, good, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting narratively and has all of the bits that will go on to make a fantastic series, but The Witcher 1 isn't great. It's almost yeah. like The Witcher Season 1, hopefully. Yes, yeah. well, that's, I feel like... So. But Trish, much. yeah, well, was still more sparky in that, yeah. and she's got no spark in the show no, at yeah. all. She well, doesn't never feel know. like a prominent character at all. You would this. never know if you didn't know the source material that there was ever an idea that they were going to end up like yeah. potentially together yeah. or have yeah. any interest um, I feel like in some ways quite similar to how I feel about The Mandalorian like it loses its way at points and I'm much more excited about where season two will go yes well, especially if they get rid of all the timeline stuff and I think they will I like think will now, now isn't yeah, it like, like it, there's it, no reason is. to do yeah. that now hopefully and I feel like they thought that last line was a lot more of a punt like a real like that's rubbish. a cool moment it was like no it's not yeah it's particularly not. when we've just seen her Hearing him shout Yennefer, is it? Yeah, it's like, that's, yeah. It's yeah. like imagine the punch of like if you, if they hadn't had Siri in it at all, and like the last line is him finding Siri, and he's yeah. like, you've known throughout the show that Geralt has this destiny to meet someone. Well, that's it. If yeah. you see all the lioness stuff, yeah. but Siri's not a part of it, yeah, then it becomes like, well, what are they talking about? What he, what does he know? Yeah. Like that's yeah. way more interesting. It was solid. I enjoyed it. Not as good as The Mandalorian for me. No, Better than no. you. <laughs> yes. I think what... So the reason I think I like it more than either of you two is, like, I really kind of enjoyed the soapiness oh, of it in a lot of places. Like, I quite like how campy and... I don't... like 
the performances could be better mm-hmm. and the writing could be better don't get me wrong there's something it just sort of washed over me and I found it quite comforting I like I think Yasky is really bad but I like Geralt's relationship with him yeah, he so is th- very good I think Geralt. that oh, relationship yeah, we haven't talked about Henry Cavill yeah. as Geralt mm-hmm. who's like he does it very oh, yeah. well unabashedly and the best thing in that the show the best sword fighting I've seen on TV it's nuts like, when you compare it to Game of Thrones you're like what were they up to? They well, had I think 400 Game of Thrones, times as much yeah. money. Game of Thrones obviously has, a, even though it is a fantasy, it pretends for an awful long time that it's not a fantasy. Yeah. And all of its sword fight choreography, I think, is, even if it's not based on historical sword fighting, it is, we want it to look like they're real people in yeah. a real history. Game of, uh, Sorry, The Witcher doesn't give a fuck. It's like, no. we're a fantasy, therefore, he is a superhuman that can carve people apart. But then, like, we saw Arya when she was apparently the greatest assassin yeah. in the world. She wasn't as fun as that. No, and like not, not she literally place. like um, in your interviews, Henry Cavill was like, "I based it on dance. Yeah. Like it's all yeah. a dance." Mm-hmm. She literally learned from a dancer how yeah. to sword fight, and she's more boring than him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's enjoyable. Um, I'm, yeah. It's better than I because I did fear that this could be a disaster. Of a yeah, show, and I think a lot of people were very wary of it. Yeah, and a lot of people like it, which is good. Yeah, and I hope season two. Is I think great. it's weirdly going to make Henry Cavill even more of a star. Yeah. Like, despite it being a relatively small thing in the grand yeah. scheme of Hollywood, like I mean, the thing is as well, it's like genuinely, even though you could say there are certain elements about Geralt in the way that, like, he's a very softly spoken, reserved chap that is a little bit similar to Clark Kent, but mm. I think he gets to have more fun with this because there's. I, I think his morality is very it's very very basic in this show that it could have been a bit more interesting but he has more interesting things to play around yeah. there mm. like the- well, I'm just seeing I know it's not like the greatest Im- impressive thing in 2020 but like he's a hero who says fuck and does evil things yeah. with his sword and like makes does bad stuff to people even if they deserve it mm-hmm. and you're like that's interesting like yeah. there's way more fun than most superheroes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm up for it Good stuff. More, please. Yes. Uh, we don't need any more of this podcast. It has gone on. Okay. That is two commutes worth for some people. Yeah, that's absurd. <laughs> Home um, and away. But we're back. And God, does it feel good. Does it? You <laughs> I, look so happy. It was the point on that at the end of Christmas where I'm like, I'm quite looking forward to going back now. I like yeah. having things to do. It's, it's also nice when you enjoy your work, isn't it? It's all right. Shit, we've got to do now. Yeah, we've got to do <laughs> Been something. Been ignoring it. Yeah. All, all right. right. Come on. Oh, yeah, music. Stick a toss a coin to you. No, yeah, we'll, t- we'll toss a coin to it, Witcher. Although I'm not as enamoured with that song as the rest of the planet. Wow, <laughs> the rest of the planet demands it, yes. so we'll do it. Here we go. Enjoy yourself. They came after me with masterful deceit, broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth. While the devil's horns minced our tender meat, and so cried the Witcher. He can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty Oh valley of plenty Hey there, this is Justin Bartha I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts With actors like Louis Black I'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale You can eat it 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.